Hello, and welcome to StarkCast. I am Joe Stark, and tonight I am talking with Rod Clairbout. How you doing, Rod? Good, Joe. How are you doing? Uh, doing great. Doing great. Happy. It is Friday. Happy yep, it's the weekend. Fun. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, growing up, my dad would work swing shift, and so he was his days off would always be random. And uh, I, I, I need to have just five days and then two days off. And ideally, if I could get it down to four days and three days off, that would be sweet. But I don't see that in my cards. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know how people can do it where they just have a random day off in the middle of the week and then one some other day. I definitely like having my weekends off. <laughs> uh, years later, my dad switched to the, the schedule now where he kind of switched positions at the company work. So he did Monday through Friday. And the one thing he said that he hated was having to get everything done on Saturday and Sunday because that's when everybody else was trying to get things done. Like, <laughs> yep, definitely. <laughs> yeah, like having an odd Thursday was like really sweet for him to go and get things done without dealing with lots of crowds. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and also, I mean, probably having like your a day off randomly in the middle of the week breaks up your work week to a point where it doesn't ever feel that long because you'll go to work three days and have a day off and then go back for three or four, whatever it would be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was a weird little tangent to go into right away. <laughs> right, just talking about work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, like, kind of the unique thing that you're into that not very many people might know about, which, in- including me, I know very little about this, but it's uh, bodybuilding competitions. Yep. So, uh, h- how did you get into doing that? Well, so like growing up, I was always playing. I was always in the sports, and I played like travel baseball. I played baseball in middle school, basketball, all that type of stuff. So I was I was always athletic in regards to I was pretty good at sports, but I was also like somewhat pretty much overweight most of my life, probably ever since I was in third grade. I was always one of the heavier kids, mm-hmm. and so probably towards the end of high school is when I kind of would see myself in the mirror. I just didn't like how I felt about myself or how I looked and knew I needed to make a change and start eating healthier and exercising more. Because even though I played sports outside of playing the sport itself, I ate horrible. I didn't really exercise otherwise. And before as a kid, like, I would always, I wanted the quick fix. So like I might, I might work out for like a week or two. And if I didn't see the results I was wanting to see, I just quit. So I stopped doing it. And at the end of high school, it's when I knew, all right, what you want to do is going to take time. You just got to stick with it and the changes will start coming. So first thing I did was I basically cut out all soda. Um, I used to drink a ton of pop and soda growing up. Yeah, that's a huge one too. Yeah, it's amazing like how much like I've heard I I've never really been able to justify or come up with a number on my own, but I've heard that if someone had I don't know, maybe drank a, a couple pops a day in their diet and then you just you just cut that out, you would lose 10 pounds in a year just from not drinking that. I'd believe it. I mean, most of it's that high fructose corn syrup that is just garbage for your body. Yeah, it's and it's amazing. Like if you look at it, how much, how many carbs and sugars are in a can of soda, it's it's like thirty or forty. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and it doesn't that isn't that more grams of sugar than you're even supposed to have in a day? In Probably like a single I, serving of Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, like I know in a 
like with like the with what I eat now, I think in a can of pop that's more that would be more carbs than I would probably have like for my diet that I was on for my show. That was more carbs than I would have probably most of the week. Oh wow. Yeah, cuz I mean I was doing a keto diet which I'll go into later, but oh, it's basically right a, it's 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 basically a no carb diet, so just that one can of pop, even though it's 30, 40 grams, that was more than I was taking because otherwise it's just vegetables that I was getting in for the most part with my carbs. Yeah, because um, I'll save that later for when we talk keto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot to talk about that. Yeah. And diet, diet nutrition is a lot. So, towards, so, like, the end of high school is when I started doing that. I cut out the pop, and I started – it was more just portion control at that point. Like, I just started eating smaller portions of stuff. And try to drink a little bit more water. Um, and then at the end of high school, I went off to college. And I'd probably, I was at my heaviest my senior year of high school, and I was about 230. So I'm only like 5'9. So I was 5'9, 230, which was pretty big. Yeah. And then uh, probably throughout that summer, I'd lost about 10, 15 pounds. And people were kind of noticing it a little bit like my like family members, like friends of our family and stuff kind of noticed like they'd ask my mom, like, is he is he like sick or anything? Like we've noticed he's lost some weight and stuff. And then she was kind of telling, no, he's trying to lose weight. And so people were starting to notice finally. And then yeah, but through that felt co- good. Yeah. So I was starting to feel good that people were actually like noticing what I was like because I was I mean, I was checking the scale and stuff and I noticed I was my weight was going down. But I mean, we're always our our own worst critics. So, yeah, absolutely. Finally, getting that like reassurance from others saying that they're noticing it too felt pretty good. So, through college, I'd continued to lose some weight. Like, I think I got down into the probably after my sophomore year of college, I was probably down in the the one eighty ish range, and so th- the rest of my college. Um, time I basically I'd been eating healthier and I'd been working out more but I was kind of negating the way I was eating in college and drinking so there wasn't really a whole lot of body composition changing going on it was more or less just I would work out to be able to eat the way I was eating in college and drink so Mm -hmm. towards the end of college is when I got more serious about training and eating a little bit healthier like I kind of knew what was good to eat for me and stuff like that, but I didn't really know portions and like how much I needed to eat of what to make certain like physique changes that I wanted to make. Um, so after I graduated college, the gym I started working out at one of the trainers there used to do bodybuilding competitions as well, but she did a women's division of it called figure and there's, I'll go into it more later, but so she had done competitions and, done people's meal plans and stuff like that before. So I just kind of, I went up to her one day and asked her if, um, she could make me out a meal plan for certain goals I had. And that was the first time I had started really eating like set meals every day. I kind of, before would just kind of eat whenever and just kind of eyeball what I was eating, like how much of it. I never really figured out how much I was actually eating of each item, like my carbs or my proteins. And so she set that out for me and within a few months I started noticing like how much quicker my progress was coming and how quickly I could see changes. 
And at that point, I was in pretty decent shape, I'd say. Um, so after about four or five months of starting to eat that way with my training, I decided let's try a, a bodybuilding show just to see if I like it and if it's something I want to kind of use as goals for down the road. And the first one I did was back in March of 2014. And in these bodybuilding shows, there's different divisions. So at this time, I did a men's physique division, which uh, would be what most people would see now would be like guys on board shorts on stage. So it's basically based off of they look more on wide shoulders, a narrow waist, and more like that beach body look. Um, and so like you don't get judged on your legs or anything. You're not in a Speedo up there. Uh, so I did that for my first show, and I just fell in love with the process. Like in that 12-week scene, how much my body changed in that 12-week period. And that was like the first time in my life I'd ever had abs, which was really cool. And... Um, I was really surprised at how nice the other competitors were towards each other and supportive. Like I thought guys in the back, like in, at the show were going to be dicks towards each other and all that type of stuff. But all the guys were really supportive and I guess it's more or less because they probably, everyone could relate to everyone knows what they had to do to get to that shape and all the dieting and all the training and cardio that they had to do. That's really cool because, yeah, I mean, that's that's even like a stereotype of why some people don't want to go to a gym is because they're going to afraid they're going to run into like douchey attitudes of, you know, oh, why are you here? And it's like, well, why the hell else would I be in a gym? Yeah, exactly. Like, like that's the last time you want to look down on somebody that's out of shape. It's like, yeah, they're in here trying to do something different. And, you know, when you said that they all know what they had to go through to get there and they all had a starting point and. That's something I would have never considered before. That's really fantastic. Yeah, like that surprised me. I mean, you're always gonna have that. You're always gonna have that person that either just has that attitude about them that thinks they're better than everyone. But for the most part, everyone was like really, really kind. Like they all, even if even if you weren't as in as good a shape as they were, they didn't say they they didn't make it known. They said, "Hey, you looked great out there. You did a great job. Your abs looked great, or whatever." And all that because I mean it was a big deal like it was such a surreal moment stepping on that stage because the whole time I'm counting down the weeks to when I'm going to be doing my show and down to like that last week and then like I get up there that weekend for it get the tan and then I'm getting ready backstage and everything and it's like I'm standing backstage getting ready to come out there and I'm like oh I guess I'm doing this now and I literally just stepped out there like I didn't I mean I was always one of those kids that never really liked to take off a shirt at the pool or anything like that mm -hmm. growing up so like stepping on stage in front of like probably like four or five hundred people was it was like I it's almost like I blocked it out I don't know why but I just kind of like blocked it out and just like I had a goal I wanted to do this and I was just gonna do it and there, I wasn't gonna back out of doing it so when I'm standing backstage it was like well here we go <laughs> and what exactly what all were you wearing when you go out on the stage um for that one it's basically just like board shorts like swim trunks that you'd wear out at the beach or something like that oh uh, okay so that had to have been easier than stepping out in like a thong for your first time right yeah <laughs> pretty much 
but it was I mean, pretty cause, cool. Because no matter what anybody says, you got to be manly as fuck to step out on a stage with just a thong on, right? I mean, yeah, you got to own that shit. <laughs> I'll say when you when you put one of those things on, if if you're uh, if you're not in shape, you're not going to be able to hide it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there is not much coverage, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of cool, just because um, some of the shows you do, you give like an MC sheet for the MC to read out for like your name and stuff when you step out on stage, and some of them it's like a, a write down like a unique fact or something, or like a interesting fact about yourself. And mine for that time was like I lost around seventy pounds from where I was at my heaviest to where I was on the stage. And so like when I was going through my turns and stuff on stage and they said that out loud, I got like a huge cheer from the crowd when they announced like the weight loss. And that was kind of a cool feeling. That's awesome, man. That's a huge journey too. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like when I first started, I never thought like that was never my goal it was my goal was just to lose weight and start getting healthier and looking better it was never my goal right away was i want to do a bodybuilding show that was never the goal i never even thought i would do bodybuilding yeah i mean i'd imagine you know you described yourself as like the overweight kid in high school and then you see yourself you know a handful of years later and you're up on a stage and there's people cheering for you and i mean what a reversal yeah yeah (laughs) A lot of my like friends like from back home and stuff were pretty shocked about it and everything too. Yeah, I'd imagine. Um, have you since run into people that you haven't seen since high school and they're like, "Holy shit, look at you, Rod." Um, I might get like an occasional person from Facebook or something from my high school, but for the most part, I mean, I don't go back to where I grew up that often. My family still lives over there, but I I stay here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, it's like a two and a half hour drive back but i just i love columbus right on so and my parents come over here a lot to see other family members and stuff so it's not like i never visit them (laughs) i know a guy that owns a climbing gym in columbus oh okay Uh, it's called it's called kinetic i don't know if i've heard of it yeah we're at it's run by i'm not sure exactly where it's at it's uh run by a guy named tony ronaldo okay hell of a nice guy yeah shapes climbing holds for for gyms and then eventually he got to the point where he opened his own gym. And I've, I follow him on Facebook. I've never actually been to Columbus, but uh, Tony's come to Iowa a handful of times. I've talked to him when, he, when he's been here. And it's a nice looking gym. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. I've, I don't know a whole lot about like the climbing scene and everything. Like I, I mean, unfortunately, Columbus is pretty flat. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know uh, a lot of guys in Columbus, the, like probably the serious sport climbers, drive down to uh, the Red River Gorge in Kentucky because that's a fairly short drive for you guys. Yeah, I bet that's probably like a little over two hours. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I derailed you with climbing. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was in March of 2014 when I did that show. And the first thing they, they talk about, like, I didn't really know much about competing or anything at that point. And... The one thing that that I read about was it's something called post-show blues, and it's kind of like a depression type thing that people can get into. And the way it's basically explained is that you're, for however long you've been dieting for a show, some people it's 12, 10, 18 weeks, however long, your whole goal has been to do that show. And then 
a lot of a lot of people don't set up a plan for after their show. So then it's like they did this and now they don't know what to do. And you have to get used to also because you get depending on what division you're doing, how low of a body fat you get down to. It's not healthy to stay at those body fats for a sustained amount of time. And so you got to get used to seeing your body change the reverse way than what you've been seeing it do. And that can really fuck with you mentally at times. I know it fucked with me right away. Like that first time because like I hold most of my body fat in my stomach and low back. Mm-hmm. So my abs are always the first things to disappear and the last things to show up like when I'm getting leaner for a show. So going from being the leanest I'd been at that point in my life to within a few weeks to a month or so is my abs are basically not there anymore. It's not like I was had gotten fat at that point, but my abs had disappeared at that point. And it was just weird. It was just messing with me seeing my body go back to what was more of a, a healthier body fat level for me. Yeah. And then at the time also not really sure what I didn't have like a set goal afterwards. So, but I was, I always try to set goals for myself anyway. So within a couple of weeks afterwards, I had started figuring out what I wanted to do with this and keep going and then also people sometimes just go crazy overboard with their eating because, I mean, some people stay super crazy strict all the way up to their show. And then after the show, they just start gorging on anything they can see and start binge eating. And it can cause people to have like binge eating disorders and stuff and just unhealthy relationships with food. Oh, yeah, I could imagine that. So that's another thing that it really can it really contests that like if you've already if some if you're someone that's maybe had eating disorder issues before like binge eating before this is competing can definitely make it pronounced even more after the fact or it can cause people to get them i'd I'd luckily didn't have that issue but i know i've heard about people that put on 30 40 pounds within like a month or two after their show oh wow yeah because they basically really fast yeah, that's the and that's the thing. Like, even though you were like, even though I'd say I was dieting for a show, even after the show, I still kind of have to diet. I don't even like to really use the word diet, but I have to be still pretty strict with my meals because your metabolism is so sensitive at that point. If you go from eating say fifteen hundred calories a day for like the last handful of weeks of your of your prep to all of a sudden just jumping it to like three thousand a day your body's going to not know what to do and it's just going to start storing as like a lot of it. So you got to have to start up by maybe giving yourself a few hundred extra calories a day for a couple weeks and see how your body adjusts to it and see what your weight's doing. And then if it's still holding steady, then you can keep bumping up the calories. So that way your metabolism has time to adjust to it and you don't start just packing on weight really quick. Do you think it's smart to do the same thing if you're going in reverse so if you're used to having like 3,000 calories a day, do you just immediately drop yourself to 1,500 or do you step yourself down? Oh, you definitely want to like step, your stuff, step yourself down. Um, the best way to, with any, I think with anything when it comes to fitness and nutrition and stuff, is you want to make the smallest amount of changes possible to get the, to yield the maximum results. So if you automatically right away jumped your calories down from three, say you're eating 3000 and you jumped it down to 1500, you might see 
a good drop off in your weight at the very beginning for maybe the first few weeks, but then your body will start adjusting to it. And then the next thing you have to do is either drop more calories or increase your cardio. And if you're already down at 1500 calories at that point, your body was hitting a plateau. I mean, you don't really want to get much lower in car and calories on a daily basis. So if you can say drop your start by dropping your calories, 300, 300 or 400 a day, and then maybe do a couple days a week of cardio and you're seeing good results. Then once you start hitting that plateau, drop it another couple hundred calories or add an extra day of cardio and see if you start getting the weight to keep coming down. So that way you can hold on to as many calories or do as little extra cardio as necessary until you really just have to step it up. But if yeah, if you just make too big of a change right at the beginning and your body gets used to it, then at that point you're just kind of setting yourself up for a very painful ride. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'd never thought of it that way. And I can see that in the past, that's a reason that I think diets would have failed for me is because I try and go too extreme, too fast. And, you know, I'd never really considered that, okay, yeah, your body's going to get used to this and it's just going to be like, okay, this is the new normal. It doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, you're getting 1,500 calories in food and it's going to burn 1,500 off equivalent of fat. Or, that's probably not even the right way to think of it. <laughs> yeah. But, and you know, it, I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm a dum-dum with a lot of this stuff. I, it's like the, the one thing that I would have going for me is that I was, I'd always be able to push myself into like masochistic levels of you know, working out every day, like getting like a really hard 45 minute workout in getting good, like 15 minutes of yoga in with it as well to loosen up the muscles. And I don't think I was ever smart with a diet. Like, yeah, maybe for for me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah. And for me, it's something like I've just kind of learned through the experience of doing the, like just kind of over the last few years of kind of getting into the nutrition aspect of, like bodybuilding and all that type of stuff before it was just kind of, I knew, okay, it's better to eat brown rice or whole grain, whole grains over sugary stuff. But I didn't know like the whole intricate levels of like how much of stuff to eat and all that. Um, so are you like measuring everything out or do you actually get down to the point where you're weighing things and like measuring by grams or how do you usually, how does your meal plan work? Okay. Yeah. So I, I have a food scale that I use. And so during, during prep for my contest, we started at, we basically started at the very beginning of the year. So I dieted for 19 weeks for this show that I just recently finished, but Wow, 19 weeks, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a while. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it, it wasn't – I don't know. I'll, I'll get into it more. But with the food aspect of it, um, yeah, some stuff is weighed out by ounces. Others is by grams. Um, so depending on what it is, I'll set up my food scale and have all my different Tupperware containers and weigh stuff out for whatever meal it is. Um, and then – prep it for the for the either that usually what i would do when it comes to my food prepping is i'd usually cook about i don't know three to four days worth of my meat and just 
that night or whatever, put it all in one Tupperware container. And then every morning before I'd go to work, I'd kind of measure out all my meals that I'm taking to work with me. And so when you do it, do you eat like every couple hours? Yeah, I was eating roughly like every two to three hours. So I was eating six meals a day. Yeah, when I was most successful with losing weight, the lowest, um, the heaviest I ever was was around 335, and then the lowest I ever got was down to 200. And I had stayed right around the 230 level for a really long time. That was like a plateau that lasted probably well over a year for me. And then I started eating more like, like that. Like every couple hours I'd, you know, I'd have something, but I, you know, I didn't really do any proper research on it or anything. It'd be like, all right, I'd have like a protein shake that I'd mix up with like skim milk. And so that would be like one of the meals, like a quest protein bar would be like another meal. Like an apple would be one, you know, like a a pouch of tuna and, you know, and then like for supper I'd have, you know, like a big, a wok full of, uh, like broccoli and, you know, veggies and stuff like that, that I'd saute. Yeah. And so I'd have like full days where I'd just be eating vegetarian. And then like the next day I'd have like, um, uh, a filet of fish that I would saute in like coconut oil with salt and pepper. And so that'd be like the protein that I would have with supper. And it was successful for a long time. I think I just burned out on like the process of it. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, de- it's definitely one of those things where you either, if you, don't like to cook you either gotta you either gotta get used to it or find ways that work best for you to get whatever meals you need to get in um and i i've not i've done i've run a, like a little bit of reading but not a ton on meal timing and it's all since everyone's body is so different some people eating every two to three hours works really well for them i know some people follow an intermittent fasting where they won't eat for, say, 18 hours in a day, but then those last six hours, they basically are eating nonstop to get the rest of their, like, to get all their calories in. And some people that works really well for, other people just eating a few times a day works for them. Meal timing, I don't think, has any definitive effect on a person, like, on, like, an overall, but. From person to person, I think, depending on, like, your lifestyle and, like, your work schedule and things like that, it all just depends on how that works. That works best for people. I'm lucky that I have a desk job, so I can go eat every two to three hours if I need to. But if I worked a job where I was on my feet most of the day, I'd have to figure out a way to either eat one of my meals before work and then maybe have, like, just a small portion of one of my meals, like, in the middle of the day and then combined a couple at night or something like that and i think i still would i think i'd still be a like your my body would still respond well to it but you just got to do what works best with your schedule and what allows you to get in the proper nutrients that you need to get in yeah yeah with my schedule that i'm on the go all the time and so that's why it really doesn't work out for me to depend on something that i need to be able to warm up yeah almost everything i eat needs to be able to be consumed cold and I've gotten to the point where I feel like, like, is a lunch meat sandwich really the best thing I could be eating with my lunch? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and I've never really held myself to like a strict no carb diet, but like, nonetheless, I'm at a point where I feel guilty about eating bread. 
Oh, I love bread. And, oh my! And like I, I really feel like when it comes to nutrition, I'm just grasping at straws. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to be more disciplined. But you know, a, another part of of me is that I can be really active. It just I need to have something to motivate me to be active. You know what I mean? Like yeah, like it. That I think the reason I was able to lose so much weight. In the, um, to begin with is just because I was so stoked on climbing that it was all I wanted to do. So I'd be at work for eight hours being like, oh, I can't wait to go home and go out and climb in the gym, you know, until my skin hurts so bad I can't hold on to anything. And, you know, then I'm going to convalesce for a day while my skin grows back and then I'm going to do it again. And, yep. and now that, you know, I'm a little bit older, the kids are, the kids are older, I've got more interests that I'm in because... It's like I fell out of the routine because I got injured, and then other hobbies sprang up in its place. And so now it's like, oh, do I really want to go back out in the smelly garage (laughs) (laughs) three times a week and like go to the torture chamber? I mean, you know, there's a reason that climbers call the gym the torture chamber. (laughs) 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 It freaking hurts. But, you know, I mean, if it's something that you're super stoked on, it's easy to just look past that. And yeah, so still searching for my motivation. Yeah, that's why I know a lot of people kind of like burn out on stuff when it comes to like competing and things like that, and they just like lose the lose their enjoyment. But look, I'm lucky that for me, I just love going to the gym and lifting. It's just a passion of mine. I mean, even if if I'm that's the thing. Like even if I'm competing or I'm not competing, I'll still eat pretty much the same way I'm eating now, and I'll still go to the gym five six days a week like I normally do. So Damn, it's something I five six so, days a week. Yeah, so it's something I love doing, and so competing to me like isn't really the only thing that's different when it comes to like how am I doing something differently when I'm getting ready for a show compared to when I'm not is just my diet's going to be a lot stricter, and I'll do more cardio than what I normally would do. That's basically the only difference in my day to day routine of working out and stuff. Is the increased cardio because that's what's helping you uh, lean down to the body fat percentage that you're wanting to achieve? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, for this last show that I did, we started out, I think I was doing maybe three or four days of cardio for like 40 minutes. And then as we progressed, it got to the point towards the end of this before the show I was doing about I was going to the gym twice a day so in the mornings I would wake up like I always I always like to I always prefer working out in the mornings if I can but since I had to do so much cardio I had to split it up between before and after work so in the mornings I would just do cardio and I would do an hour in the morning before work And then when I got home from work, I'd go to the gym and train. And then some days I'd do an extra 20 to 30 minutes on in the Stairmaster afterwards. And then other primarily getting your cardio is from a Stairmaster. Yeah, that's like my favorite cardio tool. I hate running (laughs) unless I'm playing like a sport like basketball or something or football. I don't really enjoy running at all. So for me, the Stairmaster was always my favorite thing to use i'll do the stairmaster i would do the elliptical sometimes if my legs were really sore from doing training legs the day before i might do the bike but i always preferred if i could to do the stairmaster 
Yeah, I don't know if I've ever really done like a hard workout on one of those. I've done lots of, um, oh, my my wife worked at a gym for a while and she was like a, a fitness instructor. And so okay. one of the things that they would do is they would have like these steps set up. So you'd kind of like, you know, run up the three sets of stairs and then run back, run down them backwards and do that back and forth a bunch. Yeah. I can't remember what the hell they called them. But <laughs> that's probably about the closest I've ever got to a Stairmaster. But that was good work. I mean, you really feel it burning in your quads. Yeah, and that's the thing with the Stairmasters. Like, I, I don't have to be setting it to a high intensity on it, but I always seem to sweat a lot from it. And since it's a low impact on your knees, I never really had issues with it hurting my legs or anything like that. And that's the one thing with running, besides running on a treadmill, which isn't fun to begin with, but that just that impact of t- running and all that pressure on your joints and stuff after a while can really wear on you. Yeah, I've I've never successfully ran on a treadmill. Like it's always very awkward for me. Like I feel like I need to set it at a really high incline, otherwise like my my footfalls will almost like stall the belt a little bit. And so it's like I gotta get in this weird unnatural cadence to yeah. make it work. <laughs> and I'm like, this can't be good to keep doing this for you know, like until you're exhausted. And, yeah. You know, it, it works out that I live in a small town and so like a, a three mile run for me is really easy because I can just get on this, you know, usually rarely traveled gravel road and just run a mile and a half out of town, turn around, run back. And, you know, it usually works out pretty well. <laughs> I, ha- I haven't had any scary moments yet, but I mean, my wife's had some issues with dogs chasing her. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, she wasn't too thrilled about that. <laughs> <laughs> Brings home a random stray dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my friends got one of my climbing friends really got into running and he was training for a 50 mile race and then something happened where the race fell through and uh but he was like all right i've been training i'm gonna do this anyway and so he just went out and did a, a 50 mile run and he posted on facebook that he found out that like 49 miles into a 50 mile run if a dog chases you you do not have energy to outrun it <laughs> <laughs> I just pictured that maniac finishing up fifty freaking miles and then oh, dog running ima- after him. I can't even imagine running fifty miles. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh my god. Have you ever heard of uh Cameron Haynes? He he's, huh. he's been on Joe Rogan's podcast quite a bit. He's he's a professional bow hunter. Uh-uh. And he does lots of his stuff in the mountains, and so he does really crazy shit to be able to train to be like Cause I mean, to be like hill strong from like climbing up hills and stuff like that. I mean, you know, you feel that just on Stairmaster, but you know, imagine doing that wearing like a freaking 80 pound pack or something in your, in your boots and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that he recently did was he did a race called the Bigfoot 200. I follow him on, um, on uh, Instagram and he did this Bigfoot 200 and is a 200 mile race, like through the mountains in like Idaho or something like that. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did it over like three days and like slept for like four hours total. Like he I slept probably... for like two hours one day and two hours another day. And it's like, wow, dude, you're fucking nuts. Yeah, I'd probably die. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd die for sure. <laughs> I've had delusions of grandeur when I used to run a lot. And I'd like start out a run and like I'd get my, because I'd always feel like it took me about three quarters of a mile to get warmed up. Yeah. And then, so like my second mile would always feel pretty strong. And then somewhere in the second mile, I'd really start lying to myself about how long of a run this was going to be. <laughs> and then as the run wore on, I'd then start chipping away at that. 
it's, it's almost like if you'd look at me at a like a like a bar graph or something, you'd see the wave go up, <laughs> and then like as I'm getting exhausted, and you see my mental game just destroyed. It just drops like a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, I always have to like get into a zone with like music or something when I'm doing cardio. Like I I was re- I was like towards the end like since some of it was steady state, so I would just stay at a, a steady pace the whole time. I would find a show on Netflix or something and download it to my iPad and watch an episode while I was doing it. And then the episode usually lasted about as long as I had to do the cardio. But other times where I was doing what's called HIT, which is high intensity interval training. Yeah. Um, I was doing like my maybe like my first thirty minutes of my cardio was steady state, but then the last twenty five would be hit. So I'd be going like all out for thirty seconds and then a slow pace for thirty seconds. I always had to find music and just get into the zone with the music to get through it. Yeah. Like what I was saying earlier with me being able to get masochistic at training, like hit training was my favorite thing. Yeah, actually I really enjoy hit training, but I don't like to do it if I don't have to. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's like I feel like I feel good when I'm done with it, but it's like if I don't need to do it, I don't really care to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that. Like I really enjoyed Tabata workouts, which was like, have you ever done one of those? No. What's that? It's, it's really similar. Like it's, it's based off of uh hit training, but it's like just the timing's a little bit weirder on it. It's like you go really hard for 30 seconds and then you rest for like 10 seconds and you go really hard for 30 seconds. It's just the timing. It's just a thing. It's just, inter- okay. It's just different with the intervals. Yeah. 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 And you know, I, 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 I know very little of these things that I talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you're interested in Tabata, please Google it, because Google knows far more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's like the benefit of just going in, and going to like a fitness class. And it, it worked out for me for a while because my wife was a fitness instructor. Her class started like literally 15 minutes after I got off work, and it was like two blocks away. And, and since since I was, you know, we were family, she could have one person from the family go there for free. So it was like, oh, hell yeah, why wouldn't I, you know, take advantage of that? Yeah, definitely. Why not? Yeah, and that was like really the first time I ever went and worked out in a gym setting. And, and like, I really enjoyed that community feel. Like, you'd start to see the same people in different classes all the time, and it was like a rotating schedule, and so we were always doing different stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely get used to seeing the same people around the same times of the day because other people have the same schedules as you might have or you work a nine to five job or something so they come in in the mornings as well so you start getting to see those regular faces yeah and then does that ever turn into funny things like oh there's that asshole that never puts the plates back in the right order um well it, like there's this one there's this one dude that i mean he still goes there every morning because i go to the gym um like first thing in the morning when they open at five so he always does the stairmaster for like 30 or 35 minutes every morning right away and he's always like drenched in sweat when he's done and he always he's always like on the on the, like he's he doesn't put his hands on the railings at all when he's doing the stairmaster he does like this kind of like weird like pacing and all that type of stuff when he's doing them. like he gets into like a crazy zone when he's when he's doing his stairmaster and he's super routine like he's always the first car parked in the parking lot when i'm like when i pull up there's usually like one or two other cars parked we're waiting for it to open and he's always that first car parked there and 
there's always that guy. And then there's a couple other people that you just, I, no, no one's ever like has like poor etiquette in the gym. Thankfully that when I go in the mornings, oh, but when weird. I had, when I had to go at night, I always had to deal with like, it was always busier at night, which I didn't like just because I don't, our gym isn't huge. I don't go to one of the big commercial gyms. I go to like a local gym that has a few locations here, but it's not one of those big lifetime fitness or LA fitness type places. And so it's always, it's, it's always busy at night. And you also, now we're getting to the point where kids are out of college for the summer and they're coming back home. So I get like all these college kids that come in and they're like in groups of like five and six and all of them are just goofing around while they're lifting and acting like idiots. Some of them just being <laughs> stupid. I mean, everyone, unfortunately now we live in the days where everyone's like taking videos or stuff of themselves lifting which gets annoying to me, but it <laughs> is what it so is. Self-conscious to do that in a gym where other people could observe me videoing me. Yeah, <laughs> it just makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> That's how I'm. I'm like, like, yeah, people are like taking gym selfies and all this type of stuff, and I'm like, I'm not a big like pr- picture person to begin with. So like, for me to even like take pictures is kind of un like is rare. So like, I can't even imagine just like always pulling out my phone while I'm at the gym to take a picture of myself or video myself while I'm lifting weights. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's one of those things that, you know, maybe it's, uh, I don't like product of our time. Yeah. It's just trying to think of a, the, the right way to get across what I was saying. It's like, I think with me, I, I get very self-conscious about things. And so like imagining doing, like look at me behavior in a place like a, like a gym, because like for the most part, if I were to go into a gym, I'm already going to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, just because number one, I'm not really used to going to those places. And then, you know, like kind of like what I said earlier about, you know, why would you give somebody shit that's going to a gym when they're trying to improve themselves? But also it's, you know, being a, being an overweight person that's gone into gyms and stuff, it's like, yeah, it, it does feel a little unnerving at times. And then, so when I put myself in the position of, you know, doing look at me behavior, it just makes me even more uncomfortable. But yeah. Maybe I'm weird. <laughs> no, like, no, even for me, like I'm the same way. Like I don't, I don't like feel uncomfortable or anything when I go to the gym, but it's like, I don't really like to take videos or post pictures of myself because it's like, I'm not, I'm, I guess, I don't really like to show off that type of stuff. Like to me, it's not that big of it. Like to me, it's not a big deal that I do bodybuilding or anything like that. It's just something I enjoy doing. And I feel like people that like take these pictures and all this stuff and are posting all these pictures like nonstop or videos, it's like kind of like, Hey, look, look how cool I am or look what I'm doing and stuff like that. It's like, just, just do the, just lift, just get it over with. Like, it's not that big of a deal, man. Like you're no better than anybody else just because you work out. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good humble attitude to have on it. Yeah, I uh let's see what was I going to ask you. Oh, there was something that came up earlier. Trying. Yeah, that'll teach diet. me to, that'll teach me to take <laughs> notes. <laughs> I know we were going to talk about keto at some point. Okay, yes, yes, that was it. Okay. <laughs> um so w- when you were first getting into that um, what was, um, or like, what, like, what is the process starting into that? Cause when we were talking earlier about kind of stepping down into things is, do you do that with keto also? Or do you just jump right into it? Um, keto, you want to kind of jump into basically right away because I, 
I've read I've read a decent amount on keto, and for me, since I'm a pretty carb sensitive person, which means I don't need a whole lot of carbs, um, for my body, keto worked really well for me. And everybody's different, so like keto might work really well for me, and someone else it might not work at all. And carb cycling might be something that works better for them, which is something else we can talk about. Um, but so with keto, the idea is your body stops using you cut carbs out of your diet and you only have proteins and fats and as long as you have your ratios in a in the right um like pretty much the right order your body after usually i think it's from what i've read most people it's about 10 to 14 days when you keep your carbs under i think about 50 grams depending on the person anywhere from like 40 to 50 grams as long as you keep your carbs under that threshold for about two weeks straight, your body will start turning, it'll start going into ketosis, which is the process of, it'll start using fat as energy instead of carbohydrates. And so it'll allow you to burn fat quicker. And also what happens is your body starts producing ketones, which is actually what is used for your energy, which comes from fat. And your body can actually produce an unlimited amount of ketones as long as you keep your fats in the right amount. So you can actually get pretty much unlimited energy on a ketogenic diet if it's done properly, which is pretty cool. Um, so like the first couple weeks can really suck just because your body's getting used to not using carbs anymore, which is what a lot of people always say is like those first couple weeks can be really rough. Like your energy is going to feel low. You'll feel sluggish. But then usually after a couple weeks or so, you'll start feeling like your energy come back. And that's kind of when you you start to know your body's starting to convert and start using fat as energy compared to carbs. Um, so a true ketogenic diet, I think roughly wants your fats to be about 60 to 65% of your calories in a day. And then the rest be from protein. And you might have some some trace carbs from like vegetables and stuff. But that's a true ketogenic, ketogenic diet is about 60, I think 60 or 65% fats. And then 30 to 35% protein. And bodybuilding ketogenic diets are slightly different because you're trying to hold on to a little bit more muscle. So you keep your proteins a little bit higher. So mine are probably more like 50 50 or a little bit higher maybe is what we were doing. Um, so I was basically eating on a daily basis, like eggs, egg whites, um, chicken, steak. We would use like oils, like olive oil or coconut oil with some of my meals. And then we would usually have a little bit of nut butter, like almond butter or peanut butter, but you don't want to use too much because there are there are some carbs in um, the, the nut butters. So that was basically what my – those were like the foods that were in my diets, and I would just have vegetables that I di- digested well, usually fibrous green vegetables like broccoli or green beans, um, and then I had some salad and stuff. So was it pretty much just the oils that you'd be getting your 60% of fats from? Yeah, like for – I'd say if a, if a just a normal person was trying just to do a ketogenic diet just to lose weight, you can use um, tons of different fat sources. 
oils are the easiest way to, if you need to get in the like if you just need to get in the calories because you can't eat that much food. Um, so oil because like a a serving of olive oil is like 14 grams of fat, and you can use that as like a salad dressing with some vinegar or something. But you can use all different types of fats. I mean, you can use higher fat um, meats like like steak, salmon. Um, you can use even use, I know people use bacon with their ketogenic diets because it's high in fat. Um, how is this butter. not the most popular diet if it's telling you to eat bacon? Well, it, it's basically like the Atkins diet, honestly. <laughs> like it's pretty similar to like what an Atkins diet was, where it's a lot of just like eating meat and you just cut out your carbs. And that's really what it was is, and it works for a lot of people. So for me, it worked really well. And it's something that it's actually pretty easy to, because like usually what causes cravings is if your if your fats are kind of low, at least for me it is. So when your fats are a little bit higher, my cravings really aren't that bad when it comes to wanting to eat stuff like that I shouldn't be eating. So that always helps. And there's a lot more there's a lot more fats that you would be able to use than you would think, like butter with a lot of cooking when it comes to your meals, and then just different olive oils. And it's even easier for people just like on the go because you can just do like you can make up a protein shake with some peanut butter or something in it or just like a good cut of steak that will have the fats that you need in like a higher cut or a higher fatty cut of steak will have that better ratio of fats to proteins that you would need for a ketogenic type diet. Yeah, I think. Okay, so I did do an Atkins diet. At one point, but I mean, this would have been years and years and years ago. And what what would be the big difference between Atkins and keto? Or is it is it essentially the same thing, or was it that did Atkins not have as much of an emphasis on the fats as what keto does? I I didn't I don't I haven't read a ton into Atkins, but I, f- I think it's they weren't as emphasizing as much on the fats as more or less just cutting out carbs and making sure your protein you're just eating stuff with protein. But I'm pretty sure probably some of the things that were on the Atkins diet were things like like cut certain cuts of steak that were probably higher in fat. So you were probably getting a more of a ketogenic diet and than you were like than what you were thinking. Like you were getting more fats than than probably what people were thinking, which was ultimately basically being a ketogenic type diet. And is this something that you only do you only do this diet like when you're preparing for a show or do you pretty much just stick to that like year round? Um, for me, we keep it. Let's I'm trying to think. How we, so like the way my diet worked in in my prep was we would do the ketogenic diet. And after probably about three or four weeks we started to implement on us usually on like a Saturday or something like that once a week what we call refeeds which was basically um, just a high carb meal and what that would do is first it helps with um, restoring glycogen in my muscles so it helps give me better what they call pumps in the gym um, like where your muscles kind of feel like they're getting tight and they're going to like explode that type of feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so th- it helps with that because you have to have my, uh, glycogen in your muscles for that to happen. So that would help with that. And then also helps with, um, kind of flipping, like tricking your metabolism. So when your body, it's when your body kind of gets used to the number of like the amount of calories it's getting, 
after a while it'll start slowing down and so when you give a random spike in calories for a meal or maybe a couple meals your your metabolism will be like oh okay it doesn't need to slow down so then it'll start actually speeding up and a lot of the times you'll end up if it's done right you can actually lose weight the next day after eating a big cheat meal so well, that's pretty we, cool yeah, so we started implementing we started implementing the re, we started implementing those refeeds probably about four or five weeks into my diet, and we would start doing them on a weekly basis. And the idea with um, prepping for a show is you want to make your body as predictable as you can. And keto for me was very predictable. So for example. Uh, my weigh-ins and check-ins with my coach were every Saturday morning. And on a, on a keto diet, the way my body responds to it is after, say, I weigh in with my coach on a Saturday morning and we do a refeed, usually what would happen is my weight will jump the next day just from the sodium and the carbs holding water in my system. But then usually by the middle of the week, I would say a Wednesday – my weight would drop back down to where my Saturday's weight was of the previous week. And then usually by that Friday, that Friday and Saturday, I was already at a new lower weight. And so each week I would, as long as my body was doing that or I was, uh, I was getting leaner, we would keep doing these refeeds and we would keep increasing the number of carbs with each other each week. And, since we know with we knew with me keto was just super predictable and that's something we stuck with we were able to by the end of my prep with like two weeks left i think before i went on stage we were able to get my carbs really high for my one refeed and basically we would just tell me he would just give me a number of carbs to go for in that day so throughout the day just eat this many number of carbs and i can get them through any carb sources i wanted it could be cereal, candy, normal oatmeal, whatever I wanted it to be, basically. As long as like I kept it low in fats and protein and basically just carbs. So I couldn't just go out and eat a pizza or something like that. I had to be more like do pancakes or something like that, where it's mainly just carbs and lower in fats and proteins. And even though like I would, my weight would jump up a lot the next day just from holding all that water and carbs or in um and sodium it would flush out within that week with the amount of water i was drinking and my weight would drop and i would get leaner and it's just it was crazy to just like figure out over these last couple shows that i've done just knowing like how much like you can manipulate food and nutrition with a body and like how you can get it to work for you yeah, I, I really like that plan, too. So, essentially, you're eating keto Sunday through Friday, and then Saturday you're having kind of a cheat day, but it's it's a cheat day with a plan. Yeah, it's, it's it was more focused on carbs and not just eating whatever I wanted. I mean, like, I could do stuff that had some fat in it, but I always tried to keep, like, my ratio pretty high, so, like, when it would come to, like, carbs to fat, so... Is something I didn't want to do something like ice cream, like a like a whole fat ice cream that was like ten grams of fat to twenty grams of carbs. But like I could do like a a light ice cream that maybe had like one or two grams of fat per serving with twenty to twenty five grams of carbs. 
stuff like that. So I tried to keep my ratios where there was just kind of trace fats in the food. So you're predominantly eating carbohydrates on the, on a Saturday. Yep. And then usually and then I would jump right back into my normal diet the next day. And then because you've already got your body into such a deep state of ketosis, you don't really kick yourself out of it and to, to the point that you have to go two more weeks before you jump back into it. Okay. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it doesn't like kick you out of it for like two weeks and you have to do another two weeks to get back into it. That's why you don't want to start it right. Like after you've done a key, like you don't want to start doing your refeeds like two weeks in, you want to kind of wait for a little while, usually about, I would say at least a month or so before you start implementing them and you don't want them to start super large. You want to start them small and then slowly increase them week to week. So your body keeps getting used to staying in a, in the state of ketosis. Yeah. I'm going to have to look into that because, you know, in the past I'd heard things about a keto diet and, you know, I'd liked it, but you know, I'd like the sound of it, especially the, you know, it's like, I got plenty of fat that I can burn off for energy. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I had always just had the idea of, you know, well, shit, I don't really want to miss out on things like like bread. And, you know, if I get hit by a bus next week, I'm going to miss that I didn't eat bread leading up to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, and now that I'm and now that I'm not in prep for my shows anymore, um, now that I'm starting, like, in my improvement season is what we call it. But we can do I do more of a. Um, now with my meal plan that my coach gave me, it's more of like kind of, it's not, it's called, you've probably heard if I, if it fits your macros or flexible dieting, I don't really follow that, which is basically where someone determines how many, they basically go off of a macro. So your macros are your proteins, fats, and carbs. And an if it fits your macro type diet is basically you determine how many grams of carbs you need, how many grams of protein you need, and how many grams of fat you need. And you can eat whatever you want. Just make sure you meet those goals each day. And so a lot of times you'll see people that will, especially on like Instagram and stuff, you'll see people that will save all their fats or a certain amount of their fats and carbs at night so they can eat Oreos and ice cream and all that every night, but still lose weight. Um, and I can't, and I mean, it does work if you do it, but I mean, for the most part, I like to do a more, I want to get the most micronutrients out of my meals as, as much as my macros. So, I mean, your body is going to function better, in my opinion, if you get, say, 50 grams of carbs from rice compared to 50 grams of carbs from Oreos. Like, you're, you're, I try to stay away from processed foods as much as I can. Yeah, just that's because what I was just going to say. I mean, why would you want to fuel yourself with garbage? Yeah. Even if you can lose the weight, like all you're going to do is like, but you're putting your, all these processed types of foods in your system. And even though it, you can still lose weight on it, there's still going to be benefits of eating the other types of foods over these. So, what I usually do in the off season, like right now, my coach is starting to add carbs back into my diet and he's basically telling me eat this many carbs with this meal or something, but you can use any carbs you want. So what I usually do is, I mean, I still 
choose healthier carbs, but now instead of me eating the same exact thing every single day, I might get 50 grams of carbs from oatmeal one day, but then the next day I might feel like I want to do pasta. So I'll do 50 grams of pasta. So I can kind of like, I kind of jump back and forth on what I'm feeling, feel like eating those days, but I don't usually go crazy on what I use. Like I don't try to use like pop tarts just cause I can use pop tarts. If I'm going to have a pop tart, <laughs> I'm just going to have a pop tart cause I want one. But I like, I like having those type of small options where I can kind of choose between a few different carbs. And I kind of just from the way I've been eating over the last few years, I kind of know like what my body digests well and what it doesn't. So I know kind of what stuff to stick to and other things to stay away from. And it's it's basically we're all our own guinea pigs. Like we just basically all have to experiment on ourselves and figure out what works for us because I could – I can make this, you can make the same meal plan for five different people and each person could all respond completely differently to it. Yeah. That there's makes no, sense. there's no real set plan because there's people that I know that can eat say four times as many carbs in a day as me yet still stay leaner all the time. And it's just, everyone's genetics are different and there's just so much, everyone's metabolisms are different. So it's just, it's all kind of an experiment on yourself and just determining what I handle, like what you can handle best. Yeah, it totally makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I'd really like to do the keto diet. And I think just in the past, my biggest problem has always just been discipline. Um, is, is that something that you've ever really struggled with with this? Or are you just kind of, you know, sufficiently motivated, you know, with, with your bodybuilding shows and stuff that you really don't have much of a problem with discipline? Or have you ever struggled with that? And, you know, if, if so, what were some of the, the ways that you got around that? Um, I mean, like growing up and stuff, I didn't have really like the discipline or anything of really eating proper or anything like that, I guess. I just kind of got into the habit as I started eating more like healthier and healthier. Um, I mean, there's definitely times where I'll eat what I just feel like eating that night just because, but when I'm in my, I guess like when I'm preparing for my shows, because after I did my first one, seeing the type of results that I got in such a short amount of time, I know as long as I stick to this, things like this are going to happen. So I guess that's kind of just like the self-motivation that I use for myself when it came to just having that discipline. Um, I don't know if it's just like the way I'm wired or something like that, because basically like you tell me to do something this way and I'll do it. Um, I mean like in my apartment right now, I mean, I have cereal on top of my fridge. I have tons of different kinds of pop tarts in my cabinets, but I won't touch them until I know I can have them. Like, I don't like, even though it's like my, now that I'm not dieting for a show, like I don't just eat them cause I have them. I'll, I know like Saturday is usually my day that I kind of can eat what I feel like eating. And that might be the day where I decide to have a pop tart or something before I go work out, but I can have them. I can have all types of stuff in my, in my apartment or go out with friends and let them eat whatever they want. It doesn't bother me. I guess I just have gotten used to it. I don't know. It's weird. I, I, it's hard for me to explain. I guess I just I'm too focused on what I have to eat, anyways. 
Well, yeah, yeah. So you do have very good discipline. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if yeah. you have if you have a cupboard full of pop tarts that you enjoy eating, and you're like limiting yourself to just one day a week, yeah, you're disciplined, man. <laughs> you know, and having, like I, having kids, I've always got pop tarts in the, in the cupboard, and I went through a like it was kind of a long protracted battle where around nine o'clock would happen, or about nine o'clock at night would get here. Everyone else is in bed. And I'm just kind of bored watching TV, and it's like I'm thinking about those s'mores pop tarts that are in the pantry. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, Ice cr- dude, that's like 400 calories if you eat the whole package. It's like, fuck it, eat the s'mores yep. pop tarts. <laughs> <laughs> like they're so good. <laughs> they are really good, especially if you toast them. They're yeah. fucking goddamn magical. <laughs> ice ice cream is my weakness. Oh yeah, yeah. That- what's, what's your favorite ice cream? Uh, like I jump back and forth. I always like um, anything like a mint chocolate chip, Ooh. or uh, something with like it has to have like chocolate and peanut butter in there. If there's like yes. <laughs> moose tracks or something, you throw peanut butter cups in there, it's game over. Have you seen those ones where it actually has like the real Reese's peanut butter cups in it? I've seen them. I don't think uh, I've ever had it. They're like oh, the bright, like that Briars one. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it. There's no going back. <laughs> dude the first time i got one like i like ate and like so a long time ago i used to just actually like put ice cream in a bowl and then my wife was like you know if you put it in a smaller container to eat it out of you're not gonna be able to put as much in there and so then i started putting my ice cream in a coffee cup because it's like i really can't fit much more in a cup in there and so then it's like my portion control is kind of taken care of yeah and it's like yeah i ate it out of the cup and then like 20 minutes later, I'm standing in the kitchen and I'm actually just eating it out of the tub. <laughs> and like, I didn't, I didn't put it back in the freezer until I hated myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I can't get this type of ice cream anymore. It is far too delicious. Maybe get it like once every two months or something. But, <laughs> but like I said, I have a problem with discipline. Like, and it seems like my discipline problem with food, it really manifests itself late at night. And I'd, I'd always heard that that's the worst time to have like carbs and stuff like that is later at night. But um, uh, like when I had mentioned earlier that I know like just a little bit about bodybuilding, there's a guy that, that I work with that, that does bodybuilding competitions. And I actually brought this up to him uh, earlier this week that, you know, that I have this problem with eating late at night. And he was saying that, that, you know, there's certain foods that it's really good to eat late at night because it'll like have like a slower release of protein so that your body kind of builds while it's sleeping or I don't know. It's just, it seems like there's so many different things I hear with nutrition that it's, it's hard to even know where to start sometimes. Yeah. That's like, honestly, that's how I was too at the beginning. Less until I went to that uh, trainer and asked them to set up a meal plan for me. It was kind of like I knew what are healthier things to eat, but I didn't know when to eat them or how much of what to eat at what times and stuff like that. And just, I think over the years of just kind of experimenting and reading, like, yeah, what that guy was talking about is, um, so some things that are good to eat at night because they're slower digesting proteins. Um, basically there's whey protein, which is a fast digesting protein. Um, and then another is constant or is a casein protein, which is found in milk um, and then like you can actually buy casein protein powders, um, cottage cheese, things like that. Greek yogurt. Those all have, cause they come from milk, which is what whey comes from. Those are all slower digesting proteins. So a lot of the times they sit, they recommend that eating stuff like 
protein, like those type of proteins and a fat, like a healthy fat, like peanut butter or something at night is good because fats slow down digestion to begin with. So if you mix like a slower digesting protein with a fat before you go to bed, it'll help your body stay in what's called an anabolic state, which is where your body's building muscle compared to a catabolic state, which is where it's eating away at muscle. And the idea is you want to stick, you want to try to be in a catabolic or an anabolic state for as many hours of a day as you can. So that's where like the meal timing of trying to eat every two to three hours is recommended because if you, as long as you get so much protein in at each meal, your body will turn into an anabolic state. And they've said that it takes roughly two to three hours before your body starts going into a catabolic state again. So that's the idea, I guess, behind the meal timing of eating every two hours or so. But then, like I said, from what I've read, some people can do once or twice a day of eating and be just fine. Yeah, and so that's where it comes into like every body is different then, right? Yeah, that's where it's like you can only you can only do it so much. I mean, you can do studies on saying you notice that on this group of people, but everybody's body's different. Like I know people that eat like complete crap yet they walk around and have like a six pack. It's like what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know those guys. I climb with some of those guys. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. <laughs> I hate when people are like that. It's like, it's like I have to, I have to do so much to get a six pack. Yeah, you can just do whatever, and you always have one. <laughs> yeah, but that was that's that's one of the biggest things I've learned though through um, doing like bodybuilding and just trying to build my physique is it'll drive you crazy if you try to compare yourself to others. Oh, because absolutely. because like like we were saying like everybody's body's different everybody starts at a different point like you if i'm looking at someone else in the gym that's in better shape than me they could be they could have played football their whole life and been lifting their whole life or they've been lifting longer than i've been alive you don't know i mean you don't know anyone's story you don't know where they all started i mean they could have always been in sh- been in pretty good shape their whole life you just always got to go look at where you started from and where you're at now and what you're trying to go to and are you progressing and what are you doing? Are you doing what you need to be doing to help reach the goals that you're going for? Otherwise, yeah, you're just always at, if you try to compare yourself to others all the time, you're always just going to drive yourself crazy and it's just going to mess with you mentally in the long run. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a road to unhappiness. Yeah. As soon as you start, like looking at yourself and then looking at the people around you and then you start picking yourself apart based upon what you see around you, that's definitely a road to unhappiness. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. And that's, that's one of the things that, um, actually, oh shit, actually let me, uh, I remember I read this, someone posted it after one of the shows I did and it really like is, hits a hundred percent on the T what your mind state turns into after you compete or just not necessarily do a bodybuilding show, but some of the aspects of it will be the same for someone that's just dieting, whether it be for a long period of time, just to get in better shape. But if you don't mind, I'll read it real quick. Yeah, go ahead. So the, I don't know who posted this, but I just saw it and I saved it because I thought it was just perfect. So basically, it is, here we go. If there was one thing I wish everybody could know before deciding to do their first bodybuilding or figure competition, it's that you will never view food 
or your body in the same way ever again. Some people are mentally equipped to handle this change and make it work within their lives. However, for others, this shift in the way they view food and their body will throw them so far off balance that everyday life becomes a struggle. Even if you only do one show and never compete again after that, the change will stick with you. Every time you look at your body, you will see the flaws and what needs to improve. This can make you a better bodybuilder, but letting it completely consume you can make you an unhappy person. Before you do your first show, make sure you're 100% capable of handling this change. Once you cross that line, there's no going back. And it was perfect because honestly, I mean, I don't view, I don't see food the same way that I did before I like was in high school and stuff like that. When I was in high school, I drank pop, ate Chinese food or ate whatever I wanted all the time, ate fast food all the time. And I didn't think about it at all. And now even when I do have cheat meals, I think about it, but I don't, it doesn't bother me. But it's one of those things where you're always looking at, I always look at food now and I see proteins, fats, carbs. I see stuff like that. I don't see steak, eggs. I don't see just like, I don't see the food for what it is. I see the breakdown of what it is now. Do you think that less people would have, you know, problems with, with maintaining a proper diet if they could look at food in that way? Instead of looking at food maybe as just sources of, you know, momentary mouth pleasure? Um, I think maybe, I guess it just depends on the person themselves because some people, it all depends on what their, I guess where their state of mind is in their life. I know a lot of people that use food for comfort. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that because of like, maybe it reminds them of a different time or a happier time. So I think it's honestly more on a, a mental side for people if you can mentally be on the right page i think food will have less of an impact on like you'll look at food a lot, a lot differently if you if you're just focus on more of the mental side of yourself um but i think it it's just hard to it's just hard to tell like for me i'm i'm lucky that i never really had the issue of, of i used food as like uh an escape i didn't really ever eat food because i was upset or unhappy like i never used that so i never had that issue going into it it's just for me it did just change just because i started getting so used to weighing everything out and just breaking down like how much of whatever it is i'm eating i'm going to eat and i started just getting used to looking at it that way and i've just always have i mean i still enjoy food i love food i love to cook i love to bake but it is one of those things where now like i never just look at something and eat it like eat it without thinking in my mind oh i wonder kind of how many carbs are in this or something yeah especially if you're into baking yeah (laughs) (laughs) well the funny thing is like i'll get like cravings and stuff and when i'm when i was preparing for shows like i'll bake something but since i can't eat it I'll, I'll like take it into my coworkers or I'll make my friends eat it for me. <laughs> so I hear you eat this. Let me know if it's good. <laughs> uh, okay. Earlier I described myself as masochistic. I've never done anything that masochistic in my life. <laughs> so you make the kitchen <laughs> smell like this delicious baked good and then you don't eat any of it. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Oh my God. <laughs> and I always come up with like crazy concoctions of baked goods to make. Like it's not just a, 
I just don't make a basic cupcake. I make like a <laughs> cupcake with an Oreo stuffed in it. What? You might be the most disciplined person I've ever talked to in my life. I can't imagine that. Because <laughs> like my wife loves to bake, and she makes the best monster cookies I've ever had. Ooh, I and, love cookies. Oh, oh my gosh. And it's like, if they're fresh out of the oven, if I'm on any sort of diet, it's like those things are only going to be fresh out of the oven and hot for X amount of time. And then that window's closed forever. <laughs> you know, the yeah. Cookie, the cookie tomorrow is not going to be anything like what it is right now. And then like, so, I mean, that's probably how I fail with food. Cause my, my, my biggest issue with food is that I just love the taste. Like if it tastes really good, then it's like, you know, I have that damage in my, in, my, in me where it's like, if it's good, I want lots of it. Yeah. And yeah. I know what you mean. And, you know, luckily, I mean, like, I've never had, like, issues with, like, like, I'm fine with just drinking three beers and then being done. But I am, I've never been fine with eating three cookies and then being done. Right. <laughs> so it's, like, it only goes to things that just, like, taste really good. And, and like, you know, when, when I had that injury and then all of a sudden I couldn't, I didn't have all this exercise and all of these, all this energy I was burning off every day. And then it's, you know, eating things like that and then not eating good, you know, not maintaining good portion control on it and stuff. You know, it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So, yeah, I applaud you for your discipline. (laughs) That is incredible. (laughs) Yeah, I always try to look at it like if you can eat, do like an 80-20 or a 90-10. For me, I usually do like 90-10, but if you can eat, pretty healthy 80% of your 80% of your meals and then 20% kind of just enjoy if a person's doing that along with a, a good like exercise regimen like not saying you have to go to the gym five or six days a week but if you're kind of staying steady with some type of exercise and you're eating a fairly healthy diet I mean there's definitely nothing wrong with enjoying food I mean if your family wants to go out to eat and there's no reason to like, oh, no, I can't go out because I can't eat that. Like, enjoy life, man. When you do go out to eat with, like, friends or whatever, do you usually have, like, a go-to that you go, that, like, a meal that you definitely try and order every time? Do you try and just stick to, like, a salad and keep, like, the dressing on the side so you can control how much is on it? Or, like, how, how do you usually handle that? Um, look, I mean, I guess luckily and, and not luckily, but... Uh, most of my friends live about like two hours from me in Northern Ohio up in the Cleveland area. So I don't really get to see them very often anymore because they're all friends from when we went to Ohio state, but they all were from that area and they moved back up there after college. I have one really good friend that's here in Columbus. Um, but for the most part during the week, I don't really eat out very often. I mean, I don't eat out very often to begin with, but when I do eat out, it's usually my cheat meal anyway. So I don't worry about what I'm eating. Oh, perfect. So I just kind of like go wherever I feel like going or if they want to go somewhere, I'll go there and eat whatever I want. But I mean, if, if I'm kind of eating, say I could do go out like a couple times in the week when I'm not normally like planning on it, I don't necessarily eat, go and get a salad. I might get something that is a little different than what I would eat, but is still relatively healthy. Um, I mean, there's some times where I might just get a burger because a burger just sounds delicious, but other times, like if I'm not in the mood for a burger, I might get like a a chicken wrap or something like that where it's not 
it, it kind of gives it kind of um I'm trying to think how to word it like it it solves that it gives me that little bit of craving that i had maybe for something a little different and i don't have to go overboard with it to to satisfy that craving okay yeah and so you know with with all this you know diet you know hitting the gym five days a week twice a day all in preparation for this show when it when it finally gets there like what's that process like like you, you so yeah yeah i know what you mean okay so okay. like the week <laughs> the week of the show um is referred to as peak week and so my diet will change for that week usually um and it started with we would do some what we would call water loading and I would. St- I started. We started that Sunday. So Sunday, my coach gave me my my new diet and had me drinking two gallons of water a day. Two and then, gallons a day. Yeah, I normally drink anywhere from a gallon to a gallon and a half a day normally. Anyways, so two gallons wasn't crazy for me. I mean, it was definitely more, but yeah, I'm used to going to the bathroom a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was just gonna ask. <laughs> Like, it, it's, it's not one of those things where your bladder gets used to it. The more you drink, no, you're, you'll, I still go to the bathroom probably like 10 times a day at work. <laughs> I was going to say so far you've gone like an hour and a half. <laughs> so, so that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I haven't had to drink. I've already drank most of my water for the day, so I'm all right. <laughs> but we would start. So we did two gallons of water Sunday through Tuesday and then Wednesday he cut it down to a gallon and a half and then Thursday was a gallon and a half. Um, and then Friday, so Friday we cut it down to a half gallon and we had, I had that done by about noon because I had to weigh in at 5 PM that night. Um, and then I just drank some black coffee to help keep me, um, going to the restroom and stuff and flushing out water. And the idea behind it is when you give your body a lot of excess water for a few days at a time, like for a few days, your body, I can't remember the hormone, but, um, there's like a hormone in your body that kind of tells you like when to hold on to water and when to flush it because of how much your body's taking in. Mm -hmm. And when you are giving it a lot, in a short amount of time like that for a few days, and then you start cutting it pretty quick, your body still is kind of tricked into thinking that it needs to keep flushing it out because it's going to keep getting more and more. Mm-hmm. And so even when I was, even when I only drank that like half gallon on that Friday, I was still going as frequently as I was when I was drinking two gallons, even though I wasn't going as like, I wasn't disposing of as much at the times I was still going as frequently. So my body kept flushing out all my water and so the idea behind that is when you start adding carbs into your back into your system and you're flushing out your water, it'll help fill out your muscles and make your muscles look fuller and more defined. And so that's what you want to do leading up into a show. And so we started adding carbs back into my diet that Wednesday. So that first that first day that we had added carbs back in, my weight actually went down the next morning from where it was that Wednesday morning. And then we did the same thing that next day. My weight stayed right where it was. 
And then Friday after I weighed in, he had me go and eat a steak, and then I had a double order of fries. Oh, how magical was that? Dude, I haven't. I, I was trying to think about it when I was eating dinner. <laughs> like the thing, first thing was like I was like starting to get cranky because we had to we had to wait. I was stuck in traffic after I weighed in, and then we got to dinner, and then my cousins were gonna. My cousin was at a movie, and my older cousin who was picking him up they were going to come to dinner with us, but the movie hadn't gotten out. So they weren't going to be there for a good 30 or 40 minutes. And I like, I needed to eat. And so like, I'm just sitting there like cranky. I was like, Oh, I need food. And like our waiter, our waiter just like wasn't coming back. And then finally he did. But then I couldn't think of like the last time I had fries. It had to have been like six or seven months since I'd had fries. Cause I couldn't think of like the last time I ate fries. And it wouldn't it wouldn't have been till it wouldn't have been before the beginning of the year since that's when I started dieting. Um, but it, man, it was delicious. And then the next morning, I was actually lighter, so my body was just soaking up all this food it was taking in. And so then that mor- the morning of the show, you have to go for a competitors meeting usually about an hour before, and then. The, the show itself is broken up into two segments. So there's pre-judging in the morning and then there's finals at night. So pre-judging is basically where everything is determined. That's where you're going to go out on stage with your weight class for body. So for bodybuilding, they do it by weight classes. Um, and then the different divisions, depending on what they are, either go by weight or they go by height. So for mine, I was doing bodybuilding. So it went by weight class. And you go out with your class, depending on however many people are in it. And the judges will look at, have you go through different poses. And that's how they compare everybody. And they kind of move everyone around to look at people next to each other to determine who has the most, like what they're looking for in a physique on that day. All judges look for something slightly different. There's kind of a general guideline of what they look for when it comes to just bodybuilding in general, when it comes to your symmetry of your body like you want everything on both sides like there to split you in half you don't you want to make sure your muscles are basically symmetrical on both sides you don't want to have like your right arm be a lot larger than your left arm when it comes to like your bicep or something like that and they look for the symmetry they look for your conditioning and then just your overall shape so they move you around and you can basically determine where you're going to be, what place you're going to get after prejudging. Prejudging is where everything's done. Finals is more just for the fans or for the people that come at night. And that's where you do your bodybuilding routines where you get, you have music that you've chosen and you come out and just do a routine of different poses. It doesn't have to be what is what the poses are that you do in the morning. They can be part of it, but you can just do different poses that, look good on your physique or that you like doing and those aren't judged at all when it comes to um, your placing so it doesn't really matter if you're a terrible routine or if you have some amazing routine because they pretty much scored it all from that morning when they had you all kind of shuffling around together yeah exactly so like if if anybody was going to go to a a bodybuilding show I'd always recommend going to the pre-judging because that's where you're going to get to see really like what they're all about because otherwise the finals all you're going to see is just everyone come out and do a routine and they're just going to give trophies. Um, the only thing that's different at night 
is for each class. So my bodybuilding weight class that I did was lightweight. There's depending on what show you do, there could be anywhere from like four to six different weight classes. Um, so the winners of each of those weight classes at night will come out and get compared by the judges and they'll compete against each other for an overall. And that's basically, those are the people that basically are the only ones that really have to worry about getting judged again at night. So then they compare each class to, uh, winners to each other and determine who's the, who, who had the overall best physique. And it doesn't always mean if you're the heaviest person out there, you're going to be the most, you're going to win just because you're the biggest guy. It's all about the conditioning. It's all about your symmetry. It doesn't matter on necessarily your weight. Um, so that's basically a show and it takes, it's basically a whole day. Like you get there eight, I got there about eight 15 in the morning. Luckily the show that I did was only about a 20, 30 minute drive from where I live. So after prejudging, I came home kind of after I ate and just kind of relaxed and then drove back that night for the finals at like five and then went to dinner afterwards. But you literally are only up on stage since my class wasn't very big because there aren't too many people in my weight class. Um, most bodybuilders are heavier than I am. Um, we were probably only on stage for about three or four minutes. So it wasn't very long. I mean, depending on if you're, if you're in a class where there's more people and they have to do a lot more comparing and shuffling around, you could be up there for anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. Just depends on how big your weight class is. But since mine was pretty small, they were able to move us around real quick and do a few poses and kind of determine what places everyone was going to get. So you do all that preparation work for those like three to four minutes and then your minute routine that you get at night. But it's such a like I don't get I don't get nervous when I go up there. It's just such a fun feeling being up there on stage. Um, the only thing that's different is I'm an I do I do bodybuilding naturally. Um, most bodybuilders in the division or in the sh- the organization I was doing, this organization isn't drug tested, and most of the pro bodybuilders that you would think of when you see them to get that big, you do have to take stuff. And by stuff like steroids and different other kinds of drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this organization that I did is basically the minor leagues to the pros. So a lot of the people that want to become pro bodybuilders will do these shows, and they are already taking stuff to get to that next level. So I was already like I already going going into it, I already knew that I was probably going to be one of the very few people that wasn't on anything. And so I knew I'd really didn't stand a chance against them. So I had to just be trying to beat the best physique that I brought from my last show and beat that one on this show and just kind of compare myself to, to my previous physique and not compare myself to others. And it, it fucked with me a little bit only because in between prejudging and finals, when people take pictures and stuff, um, one of the guys that was in on stage with us, I followed on Instagram and I unfortunately looked at one of his pictures that someone had posted for him and read a couple comments that someone had posted and they were basically to put things nicely comments basically saying I shouldn't have been on stage. 
and it messed with me. It definitely fucked with my head a little bit. So it kind of like put me in a shitty mind state going into that finals. And I just kind of wanted to get it over with. Yeah. But after, after like a day or two and then like talking with my coach and everything like that, like he was basically saying like, you can't compare yourself to them. Like you're not comparing apples to apples. It's completely different playing field. And you just got to look at what you brought. Like he's like, there's nothing we could have done differently that would have brought you in any better than what we did. And he's like, he was basically saying like to even have the balls to get up on a stage with those guys when you're natural says and bring like the physique that I brought, he said says speaks volumes. So, well that, yeah. And, and also the, the place that I've come to with internet comments, have you ever been talking to somebody face to face and you get cues when you're talking somebody to face to face and you can, you know, within a few minutes of conversation, you're like, wow, this guy's a moron. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. You don't get that context in internet comments. And so <laughs> the fun game I play is when I read a shitty comment, I always just assume that it's coming from a moron. <laughs> and so I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. I don't even have to validate their comment because they're probably a nine volt brain fucking idiot anyway. And honestly, like the people who just intentionally post negative shit online, they're automatically not worth your time. But, you know, even knowing all those things, you know, reading, you know, there's a reason that they say words hurt and, and that does suck, you know, having to deal with that sort of shit and, is is that something that does happen sometimes in this world? Because, I mean, basically, you're getting up there and you're being judged on how you look. Is yeah. is there a point in that where you had to start to develop a thick skin? I mean, do you ever get, do do comments from, do judges ever give comments or anything like constructive criticism? You know, like, you know, like oh, okay, this is great, but you need to work on this and this and this. Or, I mean, how does any of that work? Yeah, so what you can do, um, like with the judges, is you can... Like what the way they've set it up is once they post your stage shots, you they have like designated judges for each of the classes. So like they have a certain person that was strictly for bodybuilding and then another person that may have been for like women's bikini division or whatever it might be. Um, once they post your stage pictures on the website, you can you have like a week or something like that to email that person with your stage pictures and your number. Cause like every, the, all the judges are taking notes on probably pros and cons of your physique. And basically I can get feedback from them and ask them, okay, so from what you saw, what do you recommend? Like what are some things that you thought were strong points on me? And what are some other points that you think I should bring up um, to, to before I compete again or whatever it might be. And so they can, they'll usually respond to you and a, uh, pretty timely fashion and kind of let you know this is what you need to work on if you want to continue at this level and so on or move on to the next level this is what you need to work on i don't i've never really had someone just basically like flat out say anything like just straight up negative at you when it comes to you look awful don't don't do this like they're all pretty constructive when it comes to that but yeah like you said it is literally you're just going up there being judged off of how you look and so that's that's more or less why it messed with me is because even though I knew that I didn't stand a ch- like I already knew I I wasn't going to compete with those guys just because you just look completely different when you're on when you're at that level 
and you're trying to get to the next level and the things that you have to do. And it also doesn't help that most bodybuilders are short. Like I'm tall for a bodybuilder at five, nine, most are like five, 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 six. So when you have the people that were in my class, I had a good five or six inches on all of them. So when you're the same weight as someone, but you're six inches taller, your frame looks completely different. So I, so I hold muscle completely. My muscle looks completely different because it's not as like stocky on me as them. So I already know like some of the things like that was the first thing we, me and my coach made sure we, uh, set out, like we had goals that we've already set on, um, for this off season when it comes to like what we need to do to improve on my physique and everything like that. So we already have things we're working towards. So I don't have to worry about what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. And I just generally need to add more size to my body and frame, mainly my upper body. My legs are one of my stronger points. So we know to just really need to focus on building my upper body. Um, but I'm still, I haven't posted our pictures yet. Um, so once they do, I'm going to email the one judge that was designated for the bodybuilding and just also kind of get their feedback just to kind of see what were some things that they thought were either good or bad or what they would suggest on working on. Um, but other than that, most of the time I've never really had seen issues with people like being super critical of other people and being mean about it. Unless you're like those basically just the trolls on the internet. Yeah. And were you tempted to say to like write in your own comment and being like, you know, he's saying I don't deserve to be here. I'm the only one up on the stage. That's natural. <laughs> no, I didn't even like the juice to the tits. What the fuck? <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't even bother me that people take stuff because that's like, I think the biggest misconception and I, I had it too before I even got into bodybuilding at all. Um, is that I just assumed on the outside looking in that if you take steroids, you're going to look like this, which that's not the case. I mean, even if you take steroids, that doesn't guarantee you're going to get big. And when you take steroids or take any kind of, performance enhancing drugs you still have to put in the same amount of work that someone that's not doing it is it just allows you to recover quicker oh okay grow faster like so like just because they're taking stuff doesn't mean they don't have to go to the gym every day and eat the same types of meals that i would be eating it's just that allows their bodies to put on muscle quicker and recover quicker which in turn allows them to train either more often or harder depending on heavier weights depending on just the person themselves but and a lot of it's also genetics like that's the one thing with bodybuilding it's very genetic based so genetically some people may be able to put on muscle a lot faster than others or just the way your muscles are shaped and the way they look so if you don't have the right genetics along with proper eating and training and stuff like that, taking performance enhancing drugs isn't going to help you at all. It's just, you have to be basically one of those genetic elites along with taking that type of stuff to get to the level that you see the pros at. Cause if that were the case, cause if that were the case, any, everybody would look like those guys if they took steroids, <laughs> yeah, but that's definitely it, not the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There really is no magic bullet, no pill you can take and just uh, stay on the couch and get a six pack. Yeah, you know. there's nothing – you can't substitute anything for hard work. <laughs> Do you remember that weird contraption that that they sold on infomercials for a while where you'd hook electrodes to your gut 
and then you'd like turn it on and it was supposed to stimulate and so it would like intermittently make your abdominal muscles flex and so you yeah. burning. <laughs> <laughs> and you could just sit on the couch all day and wake up with a six pack the next day or something like yeah. that. I could only hope that it would make the people stupid enough to believe that sterile so that they couldn't reproduce. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's amazing like what they can trick people into thinking with like infomercials like the shake weight and stuff like that (laughs) did you ever see that south park episode with the shake weight no i've seen like i've seen like big jokes just on the shake weight in general with like other commercials and gags and stuff like that but oh man it's so funny just seeing like how over the top those infomercial commercials were uh, on the South Park one with the shake weight, at the end of the exercise, it would spray out cooling gel all over the person's face. <laughs> <laughs> now I think that you said that. I think I kind of vaguely remember seeing like maybe that like clip or something. It's so fantastic. <laughs> and so, so the one lady uses it through the whole episode, and then like towards the end of it, you know, uh, the one kid's dad, Randy, that they always do lots of goofs on. Yeah. He's like saying he can't sleep. So she's like, I know how to take care of this. And she gives him a handy. <laughs> and he's like, you're just like hearing it. And he's like, he's like, oh my God, an old fashioned. I haven't had one of these in so long. How'd you get so good at this? <laughs> an old fashioned. <laughs> an old fashioned. I fucking love it. <laughs> South Park's so funny. Oh my I haven't, God, I haven't watched it in years, but it's just every time I watch it, it doesn't really matter where. Like I could not watch it for five years and then come back and watch an episode, and it's still funny. <laughs> I, I don't think I caught any of the last season, but the season before with PC Principal, I caught a handful of those episodes, and oh, they were just fucking brilliant. Because <laughs> that's just I can't, I can't even I can't even remember the last time I watched one, but man, they were like whenever I did watch ones, they were just so funny. I think. Maybe like five years ago. It's probably the last one I saw. Yeah, I think it's up to like season 20 or something like that. It's crazy. And it's still going strong. If anything, it's like gotten better. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it's like first season when I was like seven seven or eight years old. Like Mr. Hanky and the Christmas Pooh and all that yeah. type of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, I had that, that album that came out a long time ago. It was like Chef Aid. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It had Ned, the guy with the voice box, singing Feel Like Making Love. It was fucking brilliant. (laughs) They had Cartman singing Come Sail Away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I remember they had Cartman with stick songs. I did remember (laughs) that. (laughs) I think I had that CD. (laughs) (laughs) So what was was amazing with that show, though, is like the first season, if you watch it, it's literally like pieces of construction paper. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe it. Like they had like, I don't know how long it took me to do each of those episodes, but it's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, it was. I mean, <laughs> and I mean, I mean, would those guys have thought when they made that first episode, you know, moving construction paper around and stuff that, you know, someday they're going to be like considered among the best satirists, you know, in the industry. I mean, because honestly, who does it better and more real than South Park? I mean, they hold nothing sacred. They will fucking rip on anything. Yeah, they will. And and the best part about it is that there's always a vein of truth that's running through it. 
you know, yeah. I mean, they wrote a like a best-selling Broadway, <laughs> you know, production uh, with Book of Mormon, and wow, yeah, talented guys. <laughs> yeah, and don't forget the movie Basketball was pretty awesome. That, that's what I was just gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I think about at least a quote or something from that movie at least once a week. I think that movie affected me far more than it should have. That movie was, I remember I played basketball. Me and my friends would like make up the, like we would play it in my driveway. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, that can kind of transition us into one of your other big, big, uh, big passions. That's something I'm into well as well. And that's, uh, you know, like pop culture and comics and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, I love it. Uh, yeah. And, and I know that you've been really going nuts on image. Oh Yeah. God, everything that comes out from them seems to be good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> I can't think of anything that I've read from Image that I thought was, like, I've never put it down thinking it was terrible. Like, there's not been one thing I've read that I did not either like or thoroughly enjoy and want to continue reading. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know one of uh, one of the ones that we were talking about earlier was... Um, uh, birthright and i've read the the first trade of that one so far and man what an awesome concept for a book and um do you so how far are you current on it then no i've read through the first two trades i have the other two trades um so i'm going to try to get through those as soon as i can i just have so many other like things i want to read at the same time so it's like do i read just an issue or two right now, or do I read, go through a trade and jump to another trade or just get to current on it? I'm probably going to try and get current on it just because over the weekend weekends is usually like my best time when I can get like some reading in. So I'll usually like spend a few hours of just reading. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's usually when I can get the most amount of time in for, for reading as well. Like I've had Sundays before where I've sat and read like 20, 20 different titles. <laughs> just, <laughs> Just sit down with my laptop and just okay, time to go through the digital copies and just get as many of them read as possible. But yeah. Um, uh, so what what is your favorite title that you've read so far? Uh, my favorite is definitely it's from the same writer as Birthright, Joshua Williamson. It's called Nailbiter. Okay, I've heard lots of good things about Nailbiter, and I pretty sure that i have the volume one trade on my my shopping list for amazon uh what's it about so the premise of the story is it's about the city called buckaroo oregon and they're the like the hometown of like 15 of the most notorious serial killers and so they think that they're they're trying to like the whole story premise is trying to determine what is it about this city that is producing all these serial killers and the story. It's just fucking amazing. Like it's every issue I would finish and then I'd want to read the next issue right away. Yeah. I love like, it I re- when they're able to finish issues like that where he's, ah, uh, oh, yeah. That's awesome. They finished up. Yeah. They would finish issues perfectly. Uh-huh. That would lead you into like those cliffhangers where you'd want to jump into the next episode right away. Cause I think at the time when I first read it, I was doing the Comicsology Unlimited where I got like the first month free and that month was um they're starting to put a ton of new image stuff on there. And so I read the first 
volume of it because it was free on the Comixology. And I blasted through it. And after I read that first trade, I went to my local library and checked out like two through five and read those in that weekend. Like within a day and a half, I read the, the next four trades and then ended up reading the next five issues to get through the series because they just finished the series, I think, in March. It was a 30 issue series and it was so good. Like, in ev- and like, there were so many awesome twists throughout the throughout the whole story and i don't know like how they set it up but like if you have actual trades in front of you they did such a good job of um and whenever there would be a twist to not let it be on the 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 right page it would always be on the back page of it so you could never kind of like peek with your eyes like if sometimes when you open one up, you may catch something on the on the other page before you actually start reading it. They always made sure if there was going to be some kind of twist to never let that happen. So you'd always stay surprised when you would turn to the next page and then see what happened, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, I just got on Amazon and bought the first volume. So I'll have it in a few days. <laughs> very good choice. Very, very good choice. <laughs> as soon as you said like that first little opening bit, like it's a town in Oregon, it's where all these serial killers came from and they're trying to figure out why I'm like, Oh, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to um, like Tim Arnold, his is in the left armor army. He's, he's huge in a nail biter too. And me and him would like go back and forth when we would finish reading a volume or issues or something like that. And he'd be like, dude, holy shit. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, keep reading. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I can't wait to get this book. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, also, I was sold as soon as I saw it was Joshua Williamson. Yeah. Like, I didn't didn't realize it was him when, uh, like, I wasn't even, like, paying attention at the time to who the writer was when I started reading it. And then I realized after I'd read, I think, one of the first volumes, like, one of the first volumes, and then, like, in the back of it, you see, like, the ads for, or what else is this person writing? And I saw he's right. He was writing birthright too. I was like, oh no shit! And I wonder I like these both. <laughs> it makes he, perfect sense. Well, he's doing the current run on the Flash also. Yeah, yeah. I got the first trade of a uh, rebirth on the Flash, and I think I've read a few of those issues already. But I want to read the. I like to read them like if I can read stuff in trades. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to read. I've heard pretty good things about the title so far. And then of course there's the Batman cross crossover with Flash. Yeah, that I'm looking forward to reading. And he wrote the bulk of those too. Did he? Yeah, he actually ended up writing the Batman 22. Oh, that's good. So yeah, he wrote three of those, three of the four out of that, and um, he did the Justice League versus Suicide Squad, Squad crossover that was really awesome, also. And the guy's a hell of a writer. Yeah, yeah, and he's I don't know like how long he's been, like I think I don't know if Nailbiter was his first thing that he's wrote, but that was the first thing I could think of that was popular. I know he's done some other image stuff he's done. Um, I've read the first trade of, I believe it's called ghosted. Um, I think that's a few trades and I don't know if it's still ongoing or not, but that I was pretty interesting. But that was pretty interesting from what I, what I read from the first trade from what I remember. Cause at the time, um, so I was just trying to, since image was doing a big sale in February, um, since it was their 25th anniversary, I did like the unlimited month of um, comicsology for free and just tried reading as much of first volumes of image stuff as I could just nice. to see like, just to see like, what do I want to start reading from them? And there was so much stuff through image. I just 
started reading just because of that because all their first trades were so good. Yeah, I, I did I did the month of free comicsology and like I I wish I would have waited and done it now that I'm so much more familiar with with image books than I was way back when I did it cuz really I think the only thing that I really got into on that was the boys and I I read the first two or three volumes of that. Have you ever read that one? Uh, I think I read the first first volume. Maybe the only thing that's tricky or that's kind of kind of sucks with Comicsology is they do a lot of on their unlimiteds at least some of their stuff they have full series runs, but a lot of stuff they just put the first volume on. Yeah. So then after you read that first volume, if you want to continue reading it, you got to start buying them. But that was that's like the one thing with Marvel Unlimited that I like more compared to the Comicsology is that. Marvel, Marvel, you'll get more complete runs of storylines and characters, but you don't get the wide variety of different publishers that you get with Comixology. Yeah. Yeah, I've never even looked into Marvel Unlimited. Um, how does that work? So it's the same co- concept as Comixology where you'll pay, you can either pay like a monthly fee or you can pay for a full year where the full year you'll save a little bit of money if you do. Um, and it's basically, they have, uh, at least over 50,000 catalog issues all the way back from like in the fifties of different, of all their characters. And the way they do it is it's on a six month lag of current issues. So, um, whatever's coming out right now won't hit comiXology unlimited for six months. Okay. Um, so you'll always kind of be six months behind current when you're reading stuff that's in this like that's new. But then they have a ton of the old stuff. Like that's where I that's where I read Moon Knight. They had the complete run of Moon Knight from 2000 from all of the runs up till now, and then they've been posting the new uh, Moon Knight as it's hitting that six month mark for each issue. Uh, they have you can search. I like the setup of the app itself because you can they have you can search character, you can search storyline, um, crossover event, artist, writer, whoever, and they just have such a vast variety of different issues and complete amounts of issues that it's worth it in my opinion if you like to read a lot of Marvel. Um, yeah, I'm just starting to get into Marvel and. I haven't fully been bitten by the Marvel bug yet. <laughs> There's yeah, either either have I. Like I, I read some stuff from Marvel. Like I I really like the Runaways because like I started reading stuff from Brian K. Vaughn, and so I started reading the Runaways, which was really good. Um, but other than that, I've just read some Moon Knight, um, and then like a little bit of Spider Man, and uh, not very much else when it comes to Marvel stuff. I'll have to check out the Runaways because after Saga, anything Brian K. Vaughn is doing, I'm on board. That's how I felt. Like I, like I read, I read after reading Saga and then um, Paper Girls, and then um, we stand on guard. Like I was like, okay, whatever he's written in the past or whatever he's writing now, I just want to read it because I'm sure it's amazing. So what what's the what's the plot for We Stand on Guard? Um, I haven't read it back in a while, but I know they talked about it on PCL a while back. Is that um, the one where there was like a French character? 
Yep, yep. It's like okay, it's, yeah. it's it was like a six inch six issue mini series <laughs> that he did. Okay. Well, yeah, because that sticks out to me because I, I remember Brian Buston domesticated Dave's balls about liking the French guy or something like that. Yeah, because like he actually speaks in French <laughs> in the in the comic itself, so you don't know what he's saying. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's only six issues though. Yeah, he just it was just like a six issue mini series that he did. Nice. But um. I uh, I really liked when I read it, um, but yeah, Runaways is really cool. It's weird because it has like a ton of different, um, it has like three or four different runs of it, and I think he stays on for most of it. Like the first, I think the first fifteen issues I've read, and I want to say there's two or three other runs of about that many issues of the series. But the the characters ages like they get older because they start as like teenagers and i think they start getting older in each of the different story arcs as like it breaks out between the different runs that he does but that first 15 issue run was really good and then now i know they're making the hulu series um of the runaways so hopefully that'll be a good translation from the comics into the show yeah because that's pretty much all i i know of that title is kind of you know i've i've heard the TV show being discussed on a handful of different podcasts. And then, so they kind of give a brief, you know, description of what it is. And so it's kind of like the children of, of supervillains that are deciding they don't want to follow that path. Right. Yeah. It's like from what the story goes is they find these parents kind of made a pact with this other, like these other race of some sort. That's like a higher power than them. Um, to as long as they f- as long as they make like a sacrifice every year to these uh deities that when the time is to the point like when the earth is going to be over or something their lives will be spared and so their kids but the kids stumble upon like them making one of their sacrifices and think their parents are murderers and all this type of stuff and them realize like start finding out what they really were so then it's like yeah their parents were these super different superhero type people or super villains and the kids want nothing to do with it but they find out they, that they're getting some of them have these superpowers as well and so they're trying to like run away from them basically and hide from them at the beginning and it's just like a really cool story and, like the characters just work all well like really well together and of course, the writing was awesome because it's Brian K. Vaughn. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, yeah, Brian K. Vaughn's fantastic. Um, are you current on Saga? No, I'm not. I've read through the. F- I'm thinking I'm almost the first three trades. I just actually bought because of how good Saga is. I wanted to have. I like. I like having hardbound stuff if I can have it. And so oh, they nice. just. So they, I have both book one and they just came out with book two, which are the first three volumes and then the second three volumes in a hardbound book. Oh, nice. So I have the digital copies as well because like way back in around Thanksgiving when I first started actually getting comics, um, they had like the huge Black Friday sale on Comixology. And so basically I had just heard how many like basically only good things from PCL of Saga and then like people like you and Jared Gafford and stuff of what's some good stuff to read. 
And so I just like loaded up on, they were basically selling all the trades for like 70% off. Holy so, shit. Yeah. So I, I, <laughs> I literally bought like, I think I bought probably like 20 digital trades between like Southern bastards, saga birthright, um, descender and all that. And I think I spent like 30 some dollars. It was like super cheap for like how much I was getting. I was like, because I basically I bought like the first volumes of them, read them real quick. Like I started reading them just to make sure I liked them. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to get the rest of them. So those saga became one of those ones that I started reading digitally. And it's like, I'd like to have tangible copies of these at some point. So I figured the best way because it's so many issues in was just getting the books. Yeah. Yeah. And the, one of the things I really liked about trades is I love, I just like seeing them on my, my bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i like that i could just go home and pick it up and i'd be like oh, i got five six comic books in my hand right now <laughs> it's yeah, a you story i can take it to work in my lunchbox i don't have to worry about it yeah you don't have to be super cautious like and careful with it yeah yeah because all my individual issues of comics i have them all in bags and boards and i have them insanely organized and <laughs> i should try and treat them very well you know in and there's definitely some of them that I will plan on selling someday, but others it's like, like, I don't ever want to get, like the thought of getting rid of my Deathstroke books makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, at this point I'm just treating them well just so that they look good. You know, not that I'm ever planning on getting rid of them or anything, but yeah, <laughs> it can be a bit of a pain. Like, like even though I've got all these death strokes, I'm probably going to buy the volume one trade and then the volume two trade just because it'd be so much easier to read them that way. That's like what my one buddy does. That's big in the comics is he'll, he'll get like individual issues or he'll get like multiple ones. Cause he plans to like sell them on stuff cause they're going to get popular, but he'll either read through them one time and then bag and board them and never open them again. And then like, if he's going to read it again, he'll just get the trade. Yeah. 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 That's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, but, if I had more disposable income, I would definitely be more strict with that plan. Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing. Is comics are expensive. That's why, like, I've basically for the most part stuck to trades. I mean, I've recently just started getting some individual comics, but I'm trying to keep that as small as I can for now. I mean, I don't really plan on it getting large because I'm not trying to collect to sell. If I'm going to collect, it's more like I want to just have this series or this these issues because i just want to keep them because i like them yeah yeah and that's where i'm trying to get with mine too i'm trying to really look at my pull list of what books i'm getting in print and say you know is this worthwhile actually having this taking up space in my house yeah because um the the uh the one friend that i from work that i referenced earlier that does the bodybuilding. He's also been collecting comics for years, and I think he was telling me he's got something like 20,000 books up in his attic. Jeez. Or something. I'm like, that's fucking insane. Yeah, that is crazy. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's awesome that, the, you know, that that's his passion. He's into collecting them like that, but it's like, wow. Like, in, in the last 10 years, like, I, I think of, like, the amount of, like, near disasters my house has gone through, and it's like, oh, I couldn't imagine having a collection like that, and then doing, like, what if, you know, I mean, like, how how horrible would that be if something happened and you lost all that, or... Yeah, that'd uh, be terrible. Yeah. That will, well, that makes me think of, um, so, like, my mom's side of the family grew up here in Columbus, Ohio, 
and the minor league baseball team um, back then was for the Yankees. So growing up, she got to see players like Mickey Mantle and stuff like that play at the minor league level, and she had like autographed baseball baseball cards from them. And there was a bad flood, and they lost like all those cards. When she was a kid, I was like, oh man, it's like I can't even imagine like if you had a signed Mickey Mantle baseball card nowadays from back then, like just or just those players in general, like from the Yankees back in the '60s and '50s and '70s and stuff. Yeah. Like some of them, how much some of those could be worth? Yeah, and floods are the worst. Yeah, because they ruin water ruins everything. Yeah, there's like it I don't is think unforgiving. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if there's really anything that can handle water when it's that amount. Mm-mm. Yeah, in in 2008, my whole town got flooded, and we had about 18 inches in the main floor of my house, and so I demoed the lower four feet all the way down to the studs and the subflooring and let it dry out and then treated everything with a chemical that's like an anti-mold agent Yeah, and then built everything back up. And oh. I, I just live in constant fear of another flood <laughs> like that. And like my dad rags on me all the time. Like, yeah, get out of here with there's another flood. And it's like, well, shit, at this point I got this mortgage, you know, a third of the way paid off. So I'm chewing into the principal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, like, my wife and I got, like, pretty good jobs, but we're not made of money. And and so, yeah. It, and also, it's like, you know, I live in town right now, and I honestly feel like I'm not made to live in town. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, there's just too many things about living in town and having neighbors really close that just annoy the shit out of me. And so I feel <laughs> like if I am going to do a big stressful thing, like look for another house and move and then potentially have to deal with, you know, if I can't get this one sold right away and you know, dealing with paying two mortgages for a little bit or, you know, just any, any of those things that just really, to me sound like it would just suck. <laughs> and so I just avoid it. And it's like, yeah, I'm just going to keep staying here and, uh, and hoping that we don't get flooded. And then maybe someday I can get a nice place out in the country. Where I can yeah. still see the stars at night, and hopefully I don't have to deal with my neighbor's freaking dog that barks incessantly, or the <laughs> freaking Jerry Springer rejects across the street who have yelling arguments in their driveway. <laughs> <laughs> Gives you a little entertainment, though, from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, when those idiots first moved in over there, their kid was probably like 14 or 15, boy, and he's out, I look out my front window and he's shooting a bow and arrow into a target towards the street. And what's on the other side of the street? My <laughs> house. And I'm like, oh my God, am I really watching this? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. But and I'm like, okay, it's a little bow. It's not, you know, I mean, like it could break a window or something, but. Yeah, but still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the fact we, that they're shooting towards another house. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's like, dude, why don't you turn around the other way and, like, make it so that your house is your backstop in case you miss your little fucking target. It's going to stick in your house and not in my house across the street. And so, anyway, yeah, I get home from work one day and uh, I go in the house and there's an arrow laying on on my kitchen counter. And I'm like, what the hell's up with this? And my wife's like, that was sticking out of our backyard straight up and down. And I said, you're shitting me. So that little (laughs) fucker... Like, shot the arrow up in the air, and it, like, you know, came down in a big 
arch in like or arc or whatever and like went right into my backyard. And so I grabbed this freaking arrow and I go out the back door of my house. <laughs> I come around the front of my house and I see this kid and one of his friends and they're still standing out there fucking with the bow and arrow. And I hold the arrow up over my head and I'm like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> like the, the, I'm like, I'm like, why did I find this in my backyard sticking up? I'm like, what the fuck, man? I'm like, if you shish kebab one of my kids, there's no saying sorry for that. You know, yeah. like, if you're going to fucking ruin your life. You're going to ruin our fucking lives. Like, don't fuck around with this. This is a lethal weapon, man. This isn't a toy. I said, did nobody ever tell you never shoot an arrow straight up in the air? <laughs> yeah. God. But yeah. And then, you know, seeing some of the other shit they get into over there, I'm like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of shit that kid wasn't taught. Yeah. Unfortunately, common sense is a lot more hard to find these days. Oh yeah, it's it is not common at all. It's kind of an ironic <laughs> term. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Last I last I heard about that kid, he got in trouble because him and some other kid in town here were going around spray painting garages, like the siding on people, the sides of people's houses and garages. They were like doing really shitty tags on them or something. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's like why does that fucking person have to live across the street from me? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it is somewhat entertaining, but you know, when they're like outside dropping F-bombs at each other as loud as they can, it's like, I shuffle the children into the house. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to go and peek up over the fence like Wilson from freaking Home Improvement. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what's going on over there? Oh, they're barefoot out in the street yelling at each other again. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that all boils down to I'm not made to live in town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember I worked, uh, like, where I grew up was a pretty, like, fairly good-sized city, and then, of course, Columbus is a good-sized city, but in the summers when I was in college, I worked up in a at a golf course up in northern Ohio, and it was a lot, it was a very small town where, like, kind of basically everyone knew everyone, and so it was completely different for me in the summers when I'm working there because, I mean, you do something, and if the right person finds out, it's, like, spread around town within, like, hours like everybody knows. So like, that was like one of those things, like you always had to make sure you didn't, weren't doing something you shouldn't be doing around like one of the busy bodies. Cause everyone will know about it right away. And that was like the one thing I could never get used to with the small town stuff. Just how everybody knows everyone's business. Yep. Absolutely. That was how I grew up. I grew up in a very small town and, you know, being somebody that I've, I, I've, I attempted to do mainstream for a long time, like Little League and, you know, the stuff that, you know, 98% of the other kids around town were into. And when it all, you know, nothing really clicked with me. And then skateboarding. I really enjoyed skateboarding. Well, guess what makes you stand out like a sore thumb in rural Iowa? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking being one of the kids that's skateboarding. And, you know, or, you know, I there was nothing to do in that town. And so me and my friends, what would we do? We'd like hang out in a park or we'd hang out on a stoop uptown or something. And then all of a sudden the old people got something to chatter about and, you know, make up rumors about, Oh, it must be those kids causing trouble. It's like, we're fucking bored. We're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. Or, you know, have like a cop drive by at one in the morning and chew us out for standing under a street light and kicking a hacky sack. <laughs> it's like, dude, we're not holding up traffic. You're the only traffic. Yeah, <laughs> we're not causing any problems. Yeah. Oh, I never wanted to have a Jedi mind trick so bad in my life. Move <laughs> <Right>. along, <laughs> move along. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Yeah. 
Like, oh, why don't you go up in the grass over there? It's like, because there's no street light over the grass, you moron. <laughs> like, why don't you go home? Because we're bored. <laughs> it's like we're in fucking rural Iowa. We're just kicking a hacky sack. Leave us alone. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one thing, um, one time, like, in the, in the, I think it was in the summer or something, like, me and my buddies stayed over at one of my friend's houses in high school, and our friend didn't, our friend failed to mention to us how far we were going to be walking. He said it was, like, a 10-minute walk to this, we wanted to go, like, a, we wanted to go, like, a grocery store and get some, like, drinks and food and stuff at, like, two, like, one thirty in the morning, because we were staying up all night playing poker. Nice. And... He told us it was like a 10 minute walk or something like that. It ends up being like a 45 minute walk each way. And so we're walking there and like we're all 15, 14 years old. So like none of us really have like any type of IDs or anything like that. And of course, a cop rolls up while we're walking and asks us what we're doing and stuff like that. And there isn't a curfew or anything, luckily, but he's like asking us what we're doing. We're like, oh, we're just walking to go here. He's like, you sure that's all you're doing? We're like, yep. And he's like, okay. He's like, he was asking like for our IDs and stuff like that. And we didn't have IDs at the time. Cause I mean, we're 14 years old, 13 years old. Yeah. And I think one of the kids had not like one of us had an ID or something. So like he took it down he's like, okay. He's like, well, I can't do you guys aren't doing anything wrong. But if I hear about cars getting broken into, you guys are going to be the first people I come checking for. We were like, fair enough. Like, that's fine. But at least it's not bugging us anymore. But it's, yeah, it just made me think of at least that cop was kind of not like bugging us too much with it, and he was kind of cool with it. But he did say if something happens around here, I know who I'm going to be coming to look for first because it just kind of seemed weird. Why do you have these 13, 14 year old kids out in the middle of the night at one in the morning up to no good? Yeah, yeah, and you know, I we we did that sort of shit all the time when I was younger. We'd be out running around in. Most of the time, it'd be because it was the summertime. We stayed over at a friend's house. We were all out in tents, waited until for sure the parents were asleep, and then we'd go and just wander around town. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so we, would, the, we would do the same thing. We'd just wander around like neighborhoods and stuff like that and just kind of chill out and do whatever we were talking shit, stay up all night. Yeah. Yeah, we, we got harassed by cops a little bit, and then we got really good at recognizing headlights Yep. <laughs> you know, on cruisers, and then like when you see them coming, like disappear, or you make it even more fun. Wait till they see you, and then disappear, and then they would think you're up to no good, and then it's a game of them driving around town with their spotlight trying to find you, and you're like playing Pac-Man down alleyways and stuff. That was always fun. <laughs> and and I say it was fun because nothing bad ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> when as a parent, I think of my kids doing that. It's like, well, you know, first off, in this day and age, that's just not. Shouldn't yeah, be you can't, right now. You can't even do scarier. it. But, but yeah, like, uh, like the one time that my mom caught me doing that, she was so pissed. And like, at the time I was like, I didn't see how it was a big deal, but it's like now as a parent, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> I can see how that might have scared the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like my, my age group is probably like the last of us that were able to kind of enjoy where when we were like kids being able just to kind of go out and do whatever we wanted on our own throughout the day like in the summers and stuff like just go and hang out in the yard like outside and not have to worry about doing it like worrying about telling our parents where we went we just had to make sure we were back by a certain time yeah and then after basically like that next generation after me it's like you couldn't do that anymore you basically had to be able to know where you were at all times 
And you couldn't just let a kid at seven, eight years old go out and play outside with his friends and wander the neighborhood and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad that that's the way it went, but, you know, you, yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't know if it's just the increase of more people in the world or it's just more, you know, news gets around more, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's definitely seems like the world is it shouldn't be like that anymore here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely changed and you can't go back to the way it was. Yeah. Because there's no way in hell I'd let my nine year old just be like, yeah, just go ahead and run out and go down to the park. That's four blocks away that you got to cross two busy streets to get to like, Nope, that's not happening. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> no. I want to go to the park, buddy. Let's go. I'm going to go with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think like technology definitely has a big thing to do with it nowadays because you can f- you can figure out where so many people are just by using some like a phone or something like that, just with technology of tracking them and stuff. Yeah. Cause I'm pretty sure that's an app you can get on like your kid's phone or something like that. You can just bring up a map and see right where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. My nine year old's already been talking about, well, you know, someday when I get a phone, it's like, <laughs> and then <laughs> he's, yeah. so, he's so funny. I'll be like, well, how old are you going to be when you get your phone? Oh, I think 18. I'm like, okay. It's like, if you can really hold up till you're 18, I'm going to be really goddamn amazed. Right. (laughs) Kudos to you, sir. (laughs) So I think I, I think I had my first cell phone in high school. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to see, I graduated high school in 99. And so I know that we had pagers back then. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And so, like, we like the like. Remember, like those. Do you remember the original Nokia phones that were super popular? I think it was like a Nokia like fifty one sixty or something like that. And it had like the different face plates that you could snap on and off, and so you could have different colored face plates on it. Yep. And it, you know, it just had like the what was it like kind of a green and black screen maybe or something like that. And yeah. I remember it had Snake on it. That was like yep. the only game. <laughs> the and one it, game. <laughs> yeah, and it was back even before text messaging. There was no fucking camera on it. <laughs> Batteries lasted about three months. Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> Have you seen that internet graphic where it shows how phones were getting smaller and smaller and smaller and then... Uh, the advent of porn that you could watch on the phone came out, and then all of a sudden the screens got bigger and bigger <laughs> right. and bigger. <laughs> they got larger again. <laughs> it makes you wonder how much did that weigh into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's amazing like how much you can actually do with a phone these days. Oh, it's freaking crazy. <laughs> like I saw, like I've been reading like rumors on like the next iPhone that's coming out, and it's supposed to start like at a base cost of a thousand dollars. What? Yeah. Ugh. That's crazy. It, it seems like a waste of money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have an iPhone, but I don't I don't know unless it's like some amazing change that's going to happen, I can't imagine I'm going to get it. I'd probably get like whatever the next model below is now, which would still be an upgrade from the one I have. But man, like $1000 for a cell phone, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, something that you might drop into a toilet by accident. Yeah. It's like, fuck. It's literally $1,000 down the tube. <laughs> I'd rather have a $1,000 TV. <laughs> no kidding. Or like, like, you know, like how much bigger of a screen you can get? <laughs> or that'd be like 100 image trades that you could get on Amazon. Yeah, you, you get so many more deals. 
Well, like when I loaded up on my image trades, I uh, since it was in February that I was saying how they had the um, they're having like their anniversary sale. I don't like to. I usually try to order stuff on online that's cheaper than doing like um, Barnes and Nobles. But on oh, yeah. Barnes and Nobles website at that for that month, they were doing buy two get one free on their any other image uh, trades. Oh, and nice. when you and when you were ordering them online, you got like a discount already. So a lot of the times, I was able to get like first volume trades for like six dollars. So Sweet. it would. So what would happen is like they would always dock off your, your your cheapest one as your free one, but I was basically able to get three trades for like fifteen bucks. If that's I did a, hell right. of a deal, so I was like, I'm gonna load up. Like that's why I started. That's why that that month I did. I was trying to read as much image stuff on Comixology for free as I could because I wanted to figure out all right what trades do I want to just like buy up now. Like I just like all right this month I'm gonna be spending a good amount of money on trades because I can get a ton of them for a good price. So let's figure out what I want to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then you know I I'm always big on buying local whenever I can, but it's yep. like, if the deal that I find online is too good to ignore, then it's like, all right, I'm, I just got to get it online because I'm on a budget and let's face it. I want this and I can get a better price. Yeah. <laughs> and so I end up getting almost all my, my trades on Amazon because it's like, I can get like a volume one image book. I don't know how many of them I've got just because it was in the $6 range. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's like I'm scrolling through my shopping list, and I'm like, oh my god, this is only $6? It's like, I, I paid more than that for my fucking sub sandwich yesterday. Yeah, I'm buying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, even though it's something that, I mean, you could read through it, you can read through a trade in, like, less than an hour, it's something that you can always go back to later down the road and reread it, and there's so many different things you can appreciate with a trade, like, with comics, is like you can go back through and look at just like all the different panels and the art on them and everything like that. It's not like it's you read it one time and you're going to be done with it forever usually. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like like what I was saying earlier that I just really like having them on my bookshelf. That's, yeah. that's exactly where I'm coming from with that. Is that I can go back and revisit this and it's just nice to have a physical book. And, you know, I do read a lot of stuff on digital, but... Like how I said that on Comixology, I'd read those those trades of the uh, the boys. Mm-hmm. Like, I really wish I had those on my bookshelf. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't. It, but because I've already read it, and there's all these other books I want that I have read, it's real. The boys is really low on my shopping list. Yeah, that that's how I am. Like I, if it's something I like, I prefer a tangible copy. Like myself, I don't read a whole lot of books on my iPad or anything like that. I prefer to have a hard copy of an actual book to read. But like when I first started with the comics before I really started reading them that much, I wanted, I just figured I'd start with digital ones. And so honestly, a lot of the digital ones that I have, I actually have tangible copies of the trades now just because I wanted to be able to reread them again, but tangibly and not just on my iPad. Yeah, Absolutely. Because I mean, the art's always gonna art's always gonna look good on an iPad, but some art you can tell will look so much better on paper if you have the hard copy. Like I knew Paper Girls was something that I wanted to have because the art on that was really cool and the colors. Yeah. And then same with uh, Birthright. Mm-hmm. 
I just knew I was like, yeah, definitely. This is something the arts on this is really nice. I definitely want to have an actual copy of this. Yeah. One of the, one of the first image books that pops into my head when you're talking about that is descender. I have descend. I don't have the, I don't have the trades tangibly. I just have them. I think I have the first two, maybe the first, I think I have the first three actually. Okay. Have you, have you read them or are you still just holding on to them? Um, I, re- I, th- I read the first two way back, uh, when I first got them back during black Friday. And then like, that was like when I was just kind of like trying to read like everything all at once. So I was like reading that and then I jumped over to saga and read. So I don't think I got back to the third. Um, but I did really like the story on it and the art on that was really good. Yeah. The art in that book really blew me away. Like if you would, if you would talk to me like pre descender and said, Joe, what do you think of watercolor art? to be like eh but then after i read descender i'm like this is fucking incredible like yeah I, i've never seen watercolors look that good like it's yeah th- that book really blew me away and so that was one that i definitely wanted to have in print yeah that's it's a really good book that's the thing too like i a lot of the art at the time when i first was getting into comics i liked more of the cleaner, crisper looking art. Um, trying to think of good examples. So like kind of like the birthright, um, saga, like art like that was more what I was enjoying visually at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then getting used to, to the other types of art, like descenders type of art and how it flows with the story and then starting to understand, okay, now I can kind of see like why it's like this. And I like why it's like this kind of gives more like the grit to it or whatever you're reading. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite comic book artist is Jim Lee. And, and, um, so like probably my favorite book of his that he's done is hush the, the Batman story. Yep. And man, the art in that is so damn good. Just really clean lines. And like, just, I love the way that Jim Lee draws characters. You know, because it's like nobody in real life actually looks like the way that Jim Lee draws them. But man, it's so cool. Yeah. Was that the one? Was it from Hush, that picture that you sent me earlier? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that art was fucking amazing. <laughs> I was like, seeing that panel, I was like, oh, yeah, now I can see why you like him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Hush is such a cool story, too, because it, it's introducing like a new, a brand new Batman villain at the time, which was, you know, Hush. And so you're going through this whole story and it's Batman working with Catwoman and they're trying to figure out who this guy is. And as they're going through, they thinking it's different people. It could be, you know, different villains and they find out, okay, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. And so you get this huge cast of Batman characters and it's got a Superman appearance, Lois Lane appearance towards the beginning of the book. Um, Poison Ivy, Clayface, Killer Croc, Joker, Harley Quinn. I mean, just so many freaking, just, it's got so many characters in it, and the art in it is fantastic, and it's a thick freaking trade, too. Yeah. It's probably about the size of, like, you know, two image trades. Yeah, that's the thing with, like, a lot of those DC trades, I've noticed, like, with, at least with, like, the Batman stories and stuff, because I bought um, Under the Red Hood and The Long Halloween, and those are, like, legit, almost like a book. Well, The Long Halloween's so really thick. <laughs> Yeah, it's a long book. I was like, damn. <laughs> I need I to like, go I'm... through and read that again. 
because I've, I I got them and I haven't had a chance to read them yet. What I want to do is, um, is I want to be able to read them and then like I don't know if Long Halloween has an animated movie, but I know that Under the Red Hood does. And I was able, I was lucky enough that Netflix had the uh, Flashpoint Paradox animated yeah. movie on. So like right after I had read, because I have all the I have all the Flashpoint Paradox trades. I read those and then watched that and I just loved like how, how well they keep it on the storyline of the comics and like they don't like they don't tread from it too much. Yeah. There's at times where they'll take poetic license with some of those. Like they did that recently with the killing joke. That's why they added in kind of like a bunch of stuff to just kind of turn it into like movie length or whatever. And yeah, yeah, it wasn't well received. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that's that I wonder if that was shocking to Warner Brothers in a way cuz I mean it's still Warner Brothers that are doing these, right? I think so. Yeah, I'm not good at memorizing that sort of shit. But <laughs> Yeah. I I've, I've never I've never been big on like the animated stuff. So, like that was honestly I think one of the first animated movies I ever watched and I actually really enjoyed it just because they had a good voice cast and it's actually funny cuz I think it was. I think it came out in like 2014 or 13, and they got Michael B. Jordan to play uh, the voice of Cyborg. Oh yeah. And I mean, he was already popular. Then I was like, damn, they're able to get that good of a voice actor for this role. And I know like Mark Hamill's done the Joker and stuff, but man, they got some. I mean, they get some pretty big names to do some of these voice actings. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, they've DC has really had a long run of doing very successful, well-received animated movies. And then, you know, they made such a big deal about the killing jokes, you know, rated R and, and, you know, following the popular comic. And then it, it, it borderline flopped. Yeah. That's what I heard. Like I heard like the first 30 minutes of the movie had like nothing to do with the graphic novel. Yeah. And yeah, from, I, I think I just remember from listening to like the PCL review of it and everything. I, because I read the, I read the killing joke and I liked it. And then I was considering seeing the animated movie, and then hearing that, I was like, eh, I'll just read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, it had a pretty, it had a crazy twist ending to it, which I thought was kind of cool and stuff. And just like, I like, I like those type of comics or just any story in general or movie that makes you think at the end. Yeah, I totally agree like, with that. Um, and you had mentioned uh, Under the Red Hood. I, I've never read the the comic book version of that but i've seen the movie a few times and it's really good it's a really good story so is it oh yeah you'll dig that one yeah <laughs> you'll definitely dig that one i can't remember what i can't remember what show i was watching that uh had to have been, had to have been one of the superhero shows that had a few episodes with the like the introduction of the red hood um, it wasn't Supergirl. Oh, actually, it was Gotham. I won't, oh, during okay. the first during the first season of Gotham, they kind of introduced that character in a few of those episodes. Yeah, I've I've never watched Gotham, and I I've heard from from several people, you know, especially in the army, that the you know the leftover army that I re- I really value and respect their opinions, and on a lot of stuff I agree with them, but. And that you know they rave over Gotham, but for whatever reason, I've just never, I just, I've never wanted to pull the trigger on watching it. And yeah, I like I know like Jared love Jared loves Gotham, and it's one of his favorite shows. But 
I tr- I tried watching the first season, and I honestly I I stopped at like two two episodes left in the in the end of this first season, and I just stopped watching it because like I really hadn't grown any attachment to any character. Like I didn't care about any character. I didn't care about Gordon. I didn't really care about Bruce yet. Like they didn't do enough in that first. Like if they couldn't get me in twenty three episodes or 20 episodes, however many I'd watched at the point to like have like a care me to care about at least one character. Like it just wasn't keeping my interest. And it wasn't like that. The, the show itself didn't seem that good. It just, it wasn't just holding my interest for wanting me to continue watching that many episodes in a season. Like it had some cool stories in there, but it was just kind of like its own. It's, it's definitely its own like else worlds, I guess from what I've heard from yeah. other people. Yeah. An else world story. So it's like, yeah, it's got it's got a character named Bruce Wayne and a character named Alfred Pennyworth and a character named Jim Gordon, but they're not exactly the ones that you know, that you that you would be familiar with being, you know, like a Batman fan or or whatever and and you know, I'm I'm glad to see stuff like this getting um you know, getting airtime and and being popular and making you know, if it has an audience then great. But I'm not even keeping up with the stuff that I really, really want to watch. Like I'm so far behind on the CW superhero shows. It's just, it just makes me sad. Like the last, okay. So I'm at the flash where I haven't watched the musical episode yet because I stopped there because I heard enough people say it sucked. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even, I skipped that episode. I'm I'm not a big, (laughs) I'm not a big musical person. And I just knew that there's there's no way that musical crossover was going to have any any type of sto- like impact on the actual story of the of the season so I was like I'm just not going to watch this episode. <laughs> See that's what I should have done but I'm far too much of a completionist. <laughs> like oh I have to watch it. Well and then also, you know, I try to keep up with all four of those shows you know since you know for whatever fucking reason. <laughs> so it's like I'll watch Flash and then I'll switch over and I'll watch Arrow and then I'll watch Legends and you know I'll, I'll kind of bounce around like that and so I was on like a really good kick because Flash has always been my favorite of all those shows. And and so I got on this good kick where I'm getting caught up with Flash and then it's like, "Oh, well the musical crossovers next. Maybe I need to get caught up on Supergirl." And then I got totally bogged down trying to catch up on that and then you throw in all the c- commercials I'm forced to watch on the CW app. Oh yeah. Oh, it's just, uh, dare to defy. Jeez, yeah, that over commercial and over and over. <laughs> it's just too I think much I to could, take. I think I could handle the commercials a little more if they were different commercials every break. But when they're the yeah. exact same ones every break, it's it just weighs on you after about the second time through. <laughs> I was talking with my friend Kyle about that. He's like, dude, just he's like, zone out, play with your phone, read a book. I'm like, I know, but. But then what was happening was I'd I'd read a comic book and then all of a sudden I'd hear the show start up again and I'd have to hit pause and finish the comic book. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've just never found a happy medium with it. Yeah, like I've been able to stay current with Flash and Arrow this season. Um, I was able to almost get to the point because I started, I hadn't watched Supergirl. It really hadn't interested me. And then I decided to start watching season one on Netflix, like as season two was starting. So by the time I had done with season one, it was getting close to the point where episodes were going to start disappearing from the CW app. So I'm just going to, I think I got through like the first few episodes of season two because I saw Superman um, in 
I think a few episodes, like two or three episodes after that. So like, I think I saw the first five episodes maybe of season two of Supergirl. Um, but I'm just going to wait till that gets on Netflix and then like a week or so and watch that. Yep. That's my plan but, at this point too, because it, it is going to be like next week and they're going to drop on Netflix, right? Yeah. Well, that's what made it so awesome is like, I think they got it right with, with legends of tomorrow. Cause legends of tomorrow is shorter than all the other shows. It's only 17 or 18 episodes. Yeah. So it showed up on Netflix like a month ago. And when I found out it was on, like, I was just, I didn't even know it was on. I was just randomly on Netflix one day and I saw a new episode. So, oh, okay. And I seriously flew through season two of Legends of Tomorrow in a weekend. And I just, I love that show. That show is probably right now between that and The Flash. Those are my two favorite. And then, um, Supergirl and Arrow, or I don't know, Arrow is hit. Arrow's hit or miss at times. I was always able to binge Arrow up until this is the first season with both it and the Flash that I've watched it week to week compared to just binging it. And I prefer with these long seasons to just binge it, just because otherwise, sometimes when they take their breaks for two months or whatever, that. I just start losing interest sometimes. Yeah, or they'll take a long break and they'll come back with an episode that's subpar, and you're like, ugh. And then you gotta yeah. wait a week with that taste in your mouth, and and yeah, yeah. I I'm a bigger fan. Like previously, I would have said that you know the more episodes you put in a season, the better because you're giving me you know like I said, if I like it, give me more of it. <laughs> but then when I got into watching shows. You know, like Game of Thrones, you know, 10 season or 10, 10 episode seasons. And then in, you know, stuff like um, like Legion, wasn't Legion only like six episodes or eight or something like that? I think it was eight. Yeah. I mean, I it just feels like they can tell you a much tighter story in that and that you're not going to have the bullshit filler in it. And and in the end, I'm just getting to the point where I just want a good story. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't need hours of entertainment. If you can give me less hours but have them be higher quality hours then i'm gonna in the end be much happier with that product yeah definitely like well that's the thing even though like it's a shorter season with legends of tomorrow even with their filler episodes just because of the fact that they get to do all this time traveling and can go to all these different time periods even if they give you a filler episode it feels it you don't really feel like it's a filler episode because like you're just having so much fun with whatever time period they're going to yeah like you get to see them in the wild west and then they go back to like world war two and just all these different time periods. And it's just so fun to get to see them. And even if like the story really doesn't move a whole lot in that one episode, it feels like it's its own individual story just because it almost is because they're going to a random time period in history. Yeah. Yeah. I've been enjoying the hell out of legends of tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I got worried when they said that they were going to have this one be a shorter season. That is that a death nail for him? Does that mean it's going to go away? I haven't, I haven't heard any news yet. If, if they've been greenlit for a third season, I think all of the CW superhero shows have been greenlit for the a season next year. Oh, good. Good. Deal. So yeah, I'm glad to see that, especially with the way, I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything, but they definitely ended in a way that there should be a season three for legends of tomorrow. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because, of course, I'm not caught up with that one either, even though yeah. it's on Netflix. <laughs> but <laughs> It's like I've been reading so many good comics lately, and I've only got, you know, a certain amount of hours in the day. And it's like, oh, man, I'm just 
I'm literally at the point where I feel like I have too many irons in the fire and I'm like trying to prioritize what's what and I almost need to get some sort of schedule like, well, it's Thursday, right. so on Thursday <laughs> I'm going to read six comic books. and then, you know. That's almost like what I do is like I try to, if I can, um, read like at least like an issue or two or something a night before I go to bed just so like I can kind of like slowly like catch up on something. Yeah, yeah. I know Jordan's always giving me shit. He's like, dude, you got to chip away at it. You got to read like five issues a day. <laughs> like, yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. Because <laughs> that's how I end up with my Sundays where I read 20, 25 books. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go in spurts where I, like, I just want to read a ton. Like, I, There's times where like I'll spend like a Saturday afternoon and go through like three or four trades. And then other times where I just want to, like, I'll take one trade and read, like, an issue a day. Yeah. It it just, like, depends on, like, how I'm feeling that week. Yeah, it's always time well spent sitting and reading a comic. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a fun medium to read, you know? I mean, previously I'd been, like, a really, really big novel reader. Like, and I'd always been a voracious reader. When I I was in high school, I read It in a week. And that's, like, a 1,200-page book. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, and like I used to like really go through reading lots of sci-fi. I used to read the shit out of the the Star Wars extended universe books, and there's like a million different Dune books. I'd read all those all the time, and so I was always really big into series, and so it just worked out really well getting into comics because it's got that you know episodic nature to it, to where you can just have a continuing story that's just going to keep going. Yeah. And it's fun stuff, but I'm also finding that I still enjoy like, you know, the mini series runs where you can just get like a, you know, a story that's all put together. Like, like you said, Nailbiter is just wrapped up in 30 issues, right? Yeah. And the series is done and it's perfect. Yeah. Like, I feel like, yeah, I feel I like that, that was like a, I feel like that was like a perfect number for that series too. And the way like it fell, like they could easily make that into a show. Like they do like a, they could easily just make like a one season show. Or if they really wanted to, like, break it out into, like, a two- or three-season show. But the, it just felt like, as I was reading it, like, the way each of those issues and store and trades were flowing is it just felt like a good flow of a TV show. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, because, like, with, with uh, Tokyo Ghost, that was just a 10-issue run. And, yeah, I don't know, fucking image, man. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. And just, just well, do it right. And like <laughs> w- like the other thing with Image is um especially I feel like Image will hits new comic book readers more too just or it allows people that are new to comics to fall into Image easier than like Marvel or DC just because yeah. if you if you start on a number 1 of any Image it's going to be that very first issue of that of that story like there's not going to be like it's not going to be like if you pick up an issue one of a spider-man comic it might be an issue one of that storyline but it could be way down the line of actually like what other stories like you've needed to already read in order to kind of understand what's going on so there's you don't have to like that overwhelming amount of stuff you need to catch up on to really start like if you like spider-man you need to start way back here so you can get a better understanding of them when you want to read this. But yeah. with image, you can just, all right, 
here's a number one of image. Read this. You don't have to have any backstory. None of these characters intertwine with any other universes or anything like that. Like this is its own own story, own line, own universe. Just have at it. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, that's something that I have to do when I read Marvel books is I have to like, have my phone on hand. It's like they'll make a reference to something. It's like, all right, let's Google this and see what the right. hell they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, or like a character will show up that like I have no idea who they are. And like you would know them from if you read earlier issues or earlier series runs with when that character had popped up or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to keep reading here. I don't know what this guy does or who he is. <laughs> <laughs> and there's been a couple new series that I've gotten into where, you know, it starts out at number one and I'm reading it. And then, you know, I'm a little confused by it. And then I'll I'll Google it and I'll be like, oh, shit, this first started in the 90s. And this is just a reissue or, you know, like kind of a reboot or whatever. And because like um i've been reading the wild storm uh dc imprint and that actually started in the 90s but they just redid it and like just just read issue four earlier tonight and like the way that they're writing it though it's like you really don't need to go back and read all the other ones i mean you would have a greater understanding of like a lot of the different characters i'd imagine if i were to go back and read them but i'm enjoying the hell out of the wild storm just as a standalone yeah and um uh, then there's also a, a Valiant title called Exo Manowar that's much the same. I've heard about that. I've heard some really good things about that. Yeah, I've been enjoying the hell out of this this new issue, uh, or this new run of it. And it's only got two issues out so far. And then Free Comic Book Day had had a prologue story for it that was really cool. Yeah, I went to my first Free Comic Book Day this year and picked up um, what I get. I got number one of plastic from image and Ooh, that's a good story. Yeah. That's a, Oh man, that's some good shit. <laughs> I love it. it. Like I basically like read that it was, it was like basically if you like nail biter, you would like this. So I was like, yep, got to get it. Uh, and excellent. so I, like I got nail biter then. Cause I yeah, love plastic. I got that first issue. It's only like a, I think it's only a six issue series though. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. It's going to be a mini series. Yeah. And they got some pretty sweet covers on there too. I got their, their B cover, which I think all their B, all, <laughs> the, all the bag. Yeah. All their B covers are that same. Like it's all that same theme. There's going to be something different oh. in a bag in a bag in each of them. So I looked at like what the B cover was for the next issue. So I'm, I think I'm going to just going to try to make sure to get the B covers on all of those issues. Um, but yeah, that story is awesome that I picked up um, just cause I don't really know hardly anything about the character. And since it was a number one, I figured I'd give it a shot was black bolt. Oh, cool. uh, from with Marvel, so I read that first issue and it was interesting. I liked it, so I'm probably I'll probably pick up the second issue and see where it's going, because I don't I don't know it hardly anything about like the Inhumans or anything like that. I know like Black Bolt has like the like just basically his I know his powers like with his voice like he can destroy like anything with it, so he doesn't speak. Yeah, yeah, and, like insanely discipline himself so he doesn't even make noises in his sleep. Yeah, so like, I don't have like any any background really of black bull besides just hearing like the stuff that people have talked about with him. So kind of going into him fresh and even though it's a dollar, I think they're a dollar more than what all the other image titles and stuff are for issues. I do like the fact that, um, cause I think you and Jordan were talking about it on, um, one of the podcasts about how the digital copy. Now you get an actual digital copy of the one that you bought. 
Oh yeah, along, yeah. We were along, talking about that on the comic cast. Yeah, along with you get a, a copy of something else. The only thing that I don't like is now it's. I mean, you get your digital copy of the one that you purchased, and now it's you get a digital copy copy of another one that they choose for you. You don't get to choose the other digital copy. Well, yeah, they, they're trying to push you towards titles that they think could probably be selling better. Yeah, they just yeah. we just need people to read them. Yeah, it's like here you can have this one. Oh, I don't really want to read this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, and I like religiously put all those codes into the app on my phone because I'm like, well, someday I'm going to be sitting, I'm going to be bored, and I'm going to you know just open up a comic book and read it. And it's like I think I've got like 20 different Marvel books on my phone. I haven't read any of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh man, this plan is not working, and it's just taking up a shitload of space on my phone. Yep. Yeah, it was cool. Like when I went and saw um, when I went and saw Logan, because when I bought my ticket uh, through Fandango, you got a free, you got the free first issue of Old Man Logan, and then the first issue of X twenty three. Oh, cool. Um, through Comicsology for free, so I got to read those. Like I, I got those first two issues just to keep when I got that ticket. So I was like, oh, that's cool. It's like even though I can read those issues on on a marvel unlimited like if i ever decided to stop using marvel unlimited at least i'd have those first couple issues i can always read again if i wanted to yeah have you read the full trade of old man logan um i started i think i've read the first three issues of the lemire run oh nice so because it's like the he because that's where he fights like one up, like one issue, he's fighting Captain America. One, he's fighting the Hulk. The next, I think I've read the one through, um, uh, what's her, <sighs> Jeremy Renner, that character, Night Nighthawk, Hawkeye, Hawkeye. Why am I? Th- yeah, yeah, Hawkeye. Oh, but, like it's like it's Hawkeye? but it's like it's his sister. But it's his sister. Oh, okay. Um, at least at the beginning, from what I remember, and they're trying, yeah, because he's going, he went back in time, and he's trying to find all these people and kill them before they become who they are, basically. Okay, yeah, the one I was referencing was the Mark Millar book. Okay, and so, yeah, that that one, so that one's pretty good. If you buy it on retail, though, it is ridiculous. It's thirty dollars retail. How big is it? Not big. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what it's got going for it? It's got a name that a lot of people recognize. Yeah. And so Marvel's like, ooh, we're going to get some money out of this motherfucker. And it's like, ugh. So, yeah, I, I got it on Amazon for 15 <laughs> Yeah. That's why I'm like trying to – that's why like the – that's what sucks right now is that I'm starting to get like single issues of stuff. So I'm trying to – like I was telling you earlier, I'm trying to pick up stuff from Joshua Williamson before he like really blows – I mean I feel like he's already kind of blowing up. But before he gets like – his next big title and all of his older stuff just becomes super popular and expensive to get. Yeah. So, cause I actually, because I love the nail biter so much, I have all the trades of nail biter. I just need to get the most recent one that just came out. I was able to find the complete run of nail biter. Um, Holy shit. How much did that yeah, run? It was actually not that bad. I think I got it. So it was all, it was all 30 issues. And then there's like this one shot issue that they do call it, it was like a hack slash issue or something. That was a one shot. So it was those 31 issues, all first prints bagged and boarded. And I think I paid 50 bucks, 50 bucks for 30 bucks. 
Yeah. Damn, dude. Like, I need to start looking on eBay more. You yeah, find dude, like some fucking hella good deals. Like I don't there. like that's what's like confusing me. Like how are <laughs> like why are like I guess like the I just got I'm getting lucky I got lucky with this guy because he's basically like he was running out of room in his apartment or his house or whatever, so he just needed to get space. Yeah. So I, I guess that's why these people he said because like he was because when I bought it, he was like, Hey, I'm out of town. It's gonna be a few days before I ship it out. And I was like, Oh, that's fine, don't worry about it. And then, like, I just kind of, like, talked back and forth with him for a few, like, messages about, like, how awesome that series is and stuff. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm probably going to pick it up all in trades. I just need to make room in my, like, room in my place. So, like, I guess people are just, like, trying to, like, he, how, I don't understand, like, why you would at least sell them for what they cost, like, individually. So, because that's what I figured, <laughs> like, like, even if, that's, that's what I was thinking, like, if each issue is three bucks, I mean, that should have been $90 right there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're finding really good deals. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, and then like I told you how earlier today I got that really good deal on, like, the whole run of Birthright so far. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, that blew my fucking mind that I was able to get that. Like, I didn't think I was going to get that cheap. And now I'm all caught up on Birthright. And the only one I want to get caught up on is Southern Bastards, but the one dude that was I saw was selling his complete run someone like made a bid on it and I wasn't going to pay any more than what that person was bidding on it. But it's doesn't really matter that much. I got the first, I got a first issue of the Southern bastards and then I just got the most recent one. So if anything, I'll just get like, maybe if I get lucky one day at a con, get the first issue signed by Latour Aaron and then just kind of save that. Nice. Nice. Cause I have the trades for those first three. So it's like, I can always go back and read those. Yeah, see, I got the trades for the first seven on Saga, but then I added it to my pull list because I think like May 31st is when the next issue will come out. And so it's like, all right, so I'm going to be reading individual issues of Saga by then just because I can't wait until number eight to come out. I'm, I'll be sitting there and just like impatiently waiting every month. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what sucks. Like, I don't know if right now if I want to wait until i mean it would be a long time before he gets to nine volumes at this point yeah if you're just buying them in the way that you are with the big yeah if i was buying them by the yeah so i was thinking at this point i may just start after i get after i read through the second book because that'll put me through volume six volume seven just recently came out i would just buy volume seven and just start buying them by the trades because there's no way i would ever even consider this point trying to go issue to issue for saga like i've seen on ebay and stuff like how expensive oh, like no num- they're very expensive <laughs> like no like just looking for like a first issue of saga on a first print is stupid like most of them are like a hundred dollars at the cheapest i'm like no like this is not something i'm doing i'm not doing that <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all though i mean you know because it that's all based on supply and demand in. I am not surprised that the demand is that high on Saga. I mean, that is one of the best comics that's ever been written. Yeah. The the story is so engaging, and Fiona Staples, her art is just incredible. Yeah, it is. I lo- Man, that art is so gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so out there, and it's so... like You never know what you're going to see when you turn the page reading Saga. Yeah, you might see someone sucking on a boob. You might not. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Did you read far enough in where they had to go and like visit that cave where the dragon was? Um, I don't know if I'm there yet. Okay, I'm not going to give anything away for you then. Yeah. Just trust me, at some point you're going to turn the page and you're going to go, oh, Jesus, that's what Joe was talking about. 
It is like some of the creatures and stuff that they come up with. Like it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Like it, man. Like his his storytelling. Like to come up with those different, just like random, like a random world out of its own. Man, he's good. <laughs> well, it's like the same thing. Like you're saying, like supply and demand. Like I know God Country has only been out. I think it's only on. Its, I think its fifth issue just came out, and. Because of how popular it is, if you try finding a first issue, first printing on eBay or something, they're going for like $50, $60. Oh, yeah. I, on Thursday, it's, I was just looking at that title at my comic shop. They had – what did they have? They had an odd mix. I think they had like only three three on the shelf maybe, and I think it was like two, four, and five or something like that. Yeah. And, like I don't even know if they were first printings. Yeah, that's the thing too. Like, even though I'm not really like collecting to be a collector, if I can, I'd prefer to have first printings of everything I get just because. I totally I'm that, agree. I'm just that way. Like, if I can have a first printing, I would prefer that. So that that's one of those things where I think like now I have first printings of all the two through current on God Country, but maybe at some point I'll go back once the demand on it hopefully goes down and look to get a first first printing of a first issue but at this point i'm not it's not worth spending 50 dollars for a, a comic if oh, yeah. i'm not if i'm not planning on selling <laughs> that thing down the road there's no reason to do it <laughs> i know jordan was texting me saying that he got these uh, uh gold and silver foil editions of redneck and yeah so those were like 40 dollars a book and he's telling me that i'm like holy shit dude that's fucking crazy you spent that much on like a just one you know, it's two two books, but it's just two versions of the same book. And then, like two days later, he texts me like a an eBay picture of an auction listing, and it's got those two as a deal for four hundred dollars. Jeez! And I'm like, holy fucking shit, dude! That's insane. <laughs> that made me eat my words pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, especially when someone's willing to actually buy that for that price. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, fuck if it. Yeah, because that is a good point. I mean, is is it listed at that? Is somebody actually bought it at that price? Well, that's the thing. Like, that's with, where eBay with, can be kind of weird. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like with the Southern Bastards lot that I was trying to get, this dude had posted it like three or four times, and each time he's had to drop the price because no one was bidding on it. So I was actually going to bid on it today, but then someone bid it on it earlier in the afternoon. Like I was going to shoot the dude an email and ask him for like a little bit lower of a price than what he was starting it at. Because clearly no one had wanted it at the time, so I figured maybe I could get a little cheaper. But then I saw someone made a bid on it, and I was like, eh, never mind. That ain't going to work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, shit, dude. We're hitting right around the three-hour mark. Um, you got uh, anything else you want to add? Or we could probably get this wrapped up. Um, no, I'm good, man. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking for a while. I'm just <laughs> shooting the shit. <laughs> this has got to be very unique amongst even amongst like long form conversation podcasts to go from bodybuilding nutrition and then have like the last half of it just firmly be comic book content. right <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> well, now, i feel like i have such like a weird like unique personality like i have it's weird because like none of my friends are into fitness or bodybuilding at all and then none of my friends are really into comics or anything at all so like i do the whole fitness thing on my own and don't really have anyone that I can relate to with that. And then I just have like you guys in the leftover army and all the podcasts I listen to through the leftover army and PCL 
for all my pop culture stuff and comics because I have no one else I can talk to about that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know how that goes. I mean, if it weren't if it weren't for the army and, you know, getting to know so many of you guys that are also into books, I wouldn't really have almost anybody to talk about comics with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just how it goes, but um but yeah, it's it, it we've got a really cool online community that of, you know, it it works out really well. Yeah, I never would have thought when I I remember when I first listened to PCL was the Civil War episode because it was right after I saw the movie. That next morning when I was at work, I was like, because right after I saw the movie, I was super fucking hyped. I was so pumped. I was like, damn it, that was the best movie I've ever seen when it came to like the superhero movies. And I was like, I need to listen to somebody talk about this movie. So like, I just searched for them and I found it. And they were the first one I decided to choose. I saw it was like four hours. I was like, all right, that'll take up half my work day. Might as well. <laughs> and then I started listening to it. And then I was like, I was like, all right, I like these guys. I like how they like rag on each other and are, sh- and are making fun of each other and all that stuff. So then I just started listening to them and started listening to back episodes and everything and trying to like look at episodes that had like different subjects that I was kind of interested in at the time. And then it just started f- more and more. I was like, I, every day I wanted to listen to them at work and, then I started getting more into like deciding to like pick up stuff with the comics because I kept hearing all the things that they were talking about. And then once the Dan started the Leftover Army page and got part of that and started talking to all you guys about all the different comics and everything, it's just gone off from there. I never thought I'd be podcasting, that's for sure. I I know, right? <laughs> uh, totally, man. I I mean, like I I got I jumped on with PCL after I saw Deadpool. And it was much the same as like, I want, I was already listening to podcasts and I wanted to hear some people talk about Deadpool and, and yeah, it was, the show just immediately clicked with me. And then, uh, last week I actually got to be on an episode with Brian and Frank and like, that's, you know, number one, like I never would have started doing Startcast if I wouldn't have been inspired by what Brian was doing with pop culture leftovers. And then when when they did second rate super fans and they were talking all about how much fun it was, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna pull the trigger on this. And and now it's, you know, this is this is a big part of my life now. I I I really look forward to these to doing these Startcast episodes and getting to talk with people, and like. Dude, I'm going to have to go back and listen to definitely the first part of our episode. I'm going to have to listen to that a couple times or maybe take notes on a lot of that stuff that you were, you know, that info that you were dishing out. It's <laughs> just fantastic stuff, you know? I mean, I get to talk to great people. I get to learn stuff. And it's just so much fun to do. Yeah, and you bring such, like, a variety of people on, which is awesome. So, like, you always get something completely different. It's like you're never always just going to get comics with everyone. I mean, you had Sturdy on talking about law enforcement and then you had Wetzel on with the just like all his science stuff I didn't I couldn't even follow some of it <laughs> I was like I was like wow <laughs> but then just like I mean like in your conversations with like the rock climbing and stuff which is fucking awesome like learning about all that stuff like I know very little about rock climbing but getting to hear you talk about and how passionate you are about it it's always cool getting to hear like you explain to everyone that doesn't really have much knowledge with it like about it is always really cool. Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah, this is, it's definitely fun and certainly something I never would have seen myself doing, but I'm glad that I jumped into it. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I likewise, definitely really I'm, enjoy it. Oh, thanks, man. And 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 likewise, I'm I'm really glad that I got to a chance to talk to you, Rod. This has been great. Yeah, me too. I was really excited when I found out that you wanted to talk and we were actually able to get it set up this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like right now, the uh, Comic Cast is on like a little bit of a hiatus. Jordan's working some really crazy hours right now. Yeah. He's working like a hundred and like close to 130 hours a week or something right now. It's Jesus. Yeah, does, he, it's, does he sleep? <laughs> like, I guess in his chair in between phone calls, you know, because he's a dispatcher. But, oh, um, that's crazy, man! But yeah, that's he, he, so many hours. I know. We were texting. He's like, he's like, dude, I I don't know when the next one I'm gonna be able to do. I'm like, I'm like, I'm surprised you're even awake. I'm like, don't don't worry about the podcast. <laughs> like, well, it, it, it actually kind of fortuitous that bumpers. We've been having so much fun with bumpers lately because that's kind of a great way to go through and and you know kind of at least get in some talks about the books that we're most stoked about right now. Yeah. But yeah, when when we get uh, the comic cast back up and running again, we'll definitely have you on, and and we'll do a lot more comic book talk. <laughs> we'll, oh yeah, man. We'll get that... a lot more into it and actually talk plot details and shit. <laughs> yeah, dude, that'd be great. That'd be so much fun. Yeah, and and I know we referenced a lot of books, uh, um, you know, just now, and we um we didn't really go into plot details on too much. We did talk about how much we liked them. So I think what I'll do is I'll put links up on, uh, on the start cast page where if, you know, if, if any of you listeners out there were interested in any of the titles we were talking about, just check the Facebook page. Um, and you know, you can find some more information there. I'll get the links posted up over the next few days. Um, but, uh, so let's see if, uh, if you want to email the show, it's startcastpod at gmail.com. If you want to tweet at me, it's at the tubby ninja. Um, anything you want to add, Rod? Uh, no, that was, it was just a pleasure being on. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> I appreciate it too, man. It was a great talk. Uh, until next time, this has been Startcast. <laughs>